It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James and this is my show. And today we have two shows to talk about. But later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Anna about Katie Mito's retirement show at Tokyo Dome. Um, but first, we're going to go back to Battle in the Valley 2023 because Kazuchika Okada's week was a long one. And it started in San Jose. And to discuss this momentous occasion with me is the return of Miss Chelsea Spallin. How are we doing, Mom? I'm doing okay. I'm uh, I'm having a cup of tea right now instead of a cup of coffee. I know everybody who knows me is shocked. And I'm just chilling. And it's a nice Saturday afternoon. There you go. That's really cool. Now, these two shows are really about rivalries. And of course, professional wrestling is based on rivalries. Um, and I always wondered why do we care about so much about rivalries? And I have a rivalry story from outside the world of wrestling to, to frame today's episode because I have a tendency to wax lyrical with these things, as Chelsea knows. <laughs> it's part of your appeal. <laughs> Indeed. So my favorite rivalry story comes from the late 80s and early 90s, and specifically in most soccer racing. There was a rider called Wayne Rainey from California and a rider from Texas called Kevin Schwantz, and they raced each other all throughout their careers. Um, from the days in the junior races all the way to the big internationals until they were MotoGP racers. And um, if Kevin didn't win, Wayne would win. And if Wayne didn't win, Kevin would win. The only difference was if Wayne didn't win, he'd finish second. And if Kevin didn't win, he'd fall off trying to win. So as a result of that, Wayne won three world championships. And though they respected and trusted each other on the track, they hated each other. They really hated each other. It got to the point where Wayne, if someone brought him a program to sign, and saw Kevin's name had been signed in that program, he would turn the page and sign his name on a different page just so it wasn't next to Kevin's. Jesus. <laughs> That's how much the rivalry was as heated as it possibly could be. They were perfectly safe with one another. They just didn't like one another because one was from Texas, one was from California. They'd been at each other's throats for a good 15 years. And then in the third world championship, when Wayne won his third world championship, he started to have doubts about having anything else to do because even in his late 20s, he kind of achieved everything within the sport, but he kept riding because when you've been racing professionally for all of your life, what else do you do? Um, until, unfortunately, he had an accident at the Dutch TT and where he was paralyzed. And that year, Kevin won the world championship. And the first thing Wayne Rainey did when Kevin won the world championship was congratulate him and make sure everybody knew that Kevin won the world championship on his own merits and it wasn't because Wayne wasn't there which was an incredibly classy oh. thing to do. Um, and, and Kevin was very classy towards Wayne, obviously, and they did talk, but it was never kind of friends because, you know, they'd not trusted each other for so long. And Wayne, to his absolute credit, um, whilst recovering and still getting used to being in wheelchair, started his own MotoGP team. And in the next season, he was running a MotoGP team um, and they were flying back to Europe. There's the old phrase saying in MotoGP that, the season doesn't start till we get to Europe. And there have been three rounds on out races in Australia and Japan. And Kevin hadn't ridden particularly well. And Kevin gets on the plane and the only seat left is next to Wayne Rainey. And um, mm. they sit down next to each other and they start having a chat because, you know, they've got to be cordial with one another. And Wayne says, so how's it going? And he says, I don't like it anymore. I'm not enjoying it. And he said, my arm hurts, I'm not healing, I'm too old. And he said, it's, it's just not worth it anymore. And Wayne said, then stop riding. 
And he said, what do you mean? He said, I would have quit last year at the beginning of the season because it wasn't fun anymore. And he said, I didn't want to race those races I raced and I'm here now. So if you don't want to race, then don't race. And Kevin said, well, it stopped being fun, really. He said, what do you mean? He says, because you're not there anymore. And that is really why we have rivalries, you know. And to this day, they're the best of friends. <laughs> That's very sweet. It is, isn't it? You know, it is a cool, cool story. They were at Goodwood this year, the Festival of Speed themselves, and their old rival Nick Doohan, and they all took um, practice laps. Because um, because Wayne Rainey is an incredible human being, he's adapted, they've adapted, Yamaha adapted one of his old MotoGP bikes so he could race it with just hand controls. <laughs> That's lovely. I love that. Yes, it's really, really cool. And... The show that this is about is really about two rivalries, one which will set the tone for a division which is going to become really big in New Japan Pro Wrestling, judging by what we've seen in the last few weeks, and one is the all-time rivalry of the New Japan um, product of the last 15 years. And we're in San Jose, California, so we're back in the United States of America on a card that feels a bit more like the old cards used to when we used to do the shows more regularly from New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, dare I say it, the elite days, if you will. So what were your thoughts when yeah. you heard about this card, Chelsea? I mean, like many other people who bought this pay-per-view, I did it because I found out Mercedes Monet was going to be on it, and I was not about to miss her New Japan debut. I mean, technically, she did, she did show up at Wrestle Kingdom, um, which is one of the only parts of Wrestle Kingdom I watched this year, I hate, I hate to say. It was just, it was, I don't, I listen, guys, I'm going to be 36 in July. I do not have the fortitude to wake up at like four o'clock in the morning to watch wrestling anymore or to stay up until three for something to start. Like, I just can't do it. I, I'm sorry. Um, so I did see the clips of Mercedes and I was like, well, okay, I'm going to buy that pay-per-view. And then I did. <laughs> so, um, and the fact that her opponent was Kyrie it was so exciting to me because, you know, I was a big fan of Kyrie's before she came to WWE. I was very disappointed when she had to leave WWE because of injuries and concussion issues. And I was disappointed when she chose to stay under contract with them. Although I can't blame her. It's probably really good money. So I just, it's been really nice seeing her get to go back to Japan and be treated like, um, like an even bigger star in some ways. Yeah, and I agree with that. being trusted to like help make this new thing in New Japan, which I know a lot of people have conflicted feelings about the fact that there is a women's division in New Japan. Um, personally, I will just say, as a women's wrestling fan, I'm going to watch more New Japan shows now that they have women's wrestling matches on them. So, uh, I, I think I, I would agree with you. I think I think the thing before was it's not that people didn't. I didn't particularly not want New Japan to do women's wrestling, but I was concerned about how they were going to treat the women. Yeah, I didn't but, want them to do it badly, and I didn't want yeah. it to be a bad working experience for the ladies. Yeah. That was that's the main reason I think. But seeing what they've done with Stardom 
And there's been, you know, there was some controversy about the way Stalin's book these days, like it's a female version of New Japan and not really like a Joshi company, which is a bit gatekeepery, as Alex um, Edwards did tell me when I said this, and that's, 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 which is fine. But I mean, that's been the criticism, but it's not a criticism from the general wrestling fan. It's the criticism from Joshi fans, which is a whole yeah. thing. You know, and that's understandable if you like a product because it was a certain way as a change in direction because the trainers are different or because the booking is different or the agency is different, then yeah, it is going to be different. But equally, they're playing bigger halls. They've got a bigger roster. They've got, you know, all of these positives that are coming into the company. More people are earning better money. Then that's the point of pro wrestling. So yeah. that's that's no bad thing in my opinion. And it, raise, it raises all raising yeah a rising tide sinks all boats but they do float to the top and it it was it was intriguing to me um by you know send um send our girls are now working with stardom which would not have happened a couple of years ago and i mm. have done some stuff with stardom and even tjpw who obviously worked with cyberfight there's possibilities of doing some crossover stuff there so joshi as a whole is also doing well out of this particular deal too yeah, I mean, I also, also, my my thing is this, right? There are Joshi companies, and I realize that it's hard to get footage from some of the really small indies, but there are other Joshi companies that you can watch if what you want is a Joshi promotion that's booked and has the aesthetic of a Joshi promotion. And I understand, you know, yeah, I get that people are disappointed that stardom has changed. Um, I don't know that I've watched enough of it. Um since all the all the sea changes have been happening to really uh perceive all those differences but um i don't know i still i still think it's a positive i, I feel positive about the fact that the women are in new japan i think it's going to make the the cards more interesting to watch and i also think it means that new japan is going to have to book better men's matches around those women matches when they have a really big like when they have a big name like Mercedes or someone who's doing a debut who's a very exciting name for them or a title match, I just I think it livens the whole card up a little bit, honestly. It definitely does. And this was a good example of how that will work in the future, I think, too. Um yeah, and if you do want a traditional Joshi product that's easy to find, I would suggest you look at Tokyo Joshi Pro because all of their yeah. shows are on Wrestling Universe with English commentary. So if you want something to get into with a bit more insight. TJPW is the place to go. But let us look at the show in uh, San Jose, California. The show opened with Kevin Knight, Kushida, the DKC, and Volador defeating Adrian Quest, Josh Alexander, your Impact Wrestling Champion, Mascara Dorada, and Rocky Romero, um, your CMLL Historic Welterweight Champion. <laughs> minutes and 22 seconds. Um, at the end of this match, there was a challenge from Volador Jr. to Rocky Romero in a hair versus hair match. What's your thoughts on this one, Chelsea? I really enjoyed this. I thought this was a great opener. Um, I am not super familiar with Alexander or with Kevin Knight or Adrian Quest, really. But mm. um, everybody else in this match I knew. Uh, <laughs> I was super hyped when I saw Mascara Dorada because I had actually forgotten that he was doing stuff with New Japan. And I was super bummed when he left WWE because I never felt like they capitalized on him properly when he mm. was there. Um, it's so nice to see Kushida. I hadn't really seen him in a minute because he left 
WWE. And again, he's another one where I felt like, oh my God, that guy has so much potential and you didn't do anything with him. I mean, they did a little bit with him, but they, I don't know. I felt like they gave up really too early. And it's just, it's nice to see him back in front of crowds that appreciate him. He got some baby face pops and that was nice. Um, I love Rocky Romero. He's awesome. And also I was watching this on our TV downstairs in my house, which is where my parents sit in that living room when they're reading. And so my mom has a crush on Rocky Romero now, <laughs> which means she has good taste. He's a very handsome man. He is. Um, I really enjoyed this. I thought this was exactly what was needed for the opening of the card, especially considering that the show started late. It wasn't too dense. It wasn't too long. It was like, it was fun. Everybody got their spots in. The younger, newer guys got to do stuff to distinguish themselves. But it wasn't like, you know, at any point, it wasn't a thing that highlighted one person over all the others, which is good. Oh, also, I wanted to say, I love Volador Jr. So I was super hyped to see him, too. I saw him at a couple of the New York Ring of Honor shows that I went to. Mm. And um, that guy could go. Like, he is one of those people who can just work anybody. And I loved the spot that he did where he caught Mascara Dorada when he did that crazy dive outside the ring. That was <laughs> that was awesome. It was fun seeing them work together. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed this match. It was a great opener. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. I've been well into Kevin Knight and Kushida since the, they were in the Junior Tag League. And Kevin Knight was such a surprise to me because I hadn't been watching New, New Japan for like the same reason I watch so much wrestling in a week and I can't watch everything. So New Japan Strong had to be, there had to be a choice made. <laughs> and New Japan Strong sadly did not make the cut. Um, but having watched Kevin Knight, that insane drop kick that he has where he can yeah, drop, kick, it's drop kick somebody off of Kushida's shoulders in the face it's is just huge. Yeah, it's just insane watching him do that. Um, obviously, I've, I have watched a lot of Impact with Josh Alexander, and I've been a big fan of Josh Alexander for quite a while now. Um, they kind of like, <laughs> it's one of those things because it's like, it's a bit of the bizarre thing that, like, when you talk about like Forbidden Door stuff and the way Impact and New Japan work, work to each other, like, Impact Wrestling will take Jay White and stick him in the opening match because nobody knows who Jay White is. But then again, equally, New Japan Pro Wrestling will take Josh Alexander, their world champion, and stick him in the opening match as well. It's like, yeah. do you actually like working with each other? <laughs> it's like Chris Saban beat um, Jay White, and then Jay White two weeks later went and won the IWGP a great championship. And it's like, what? <laughs> what is the New Japan Impact relationship right now? Is there this is a cooperative thing? Yeah, basically... Um, so the people that work on New Japan Strong a lot of the time, a lot of them are specifically contracted to New Japan Pro Wrestling, but Kushida's gone mm -hmm. to do some Impact stuff and Jay White's gone to do Impact stuff over the last year. Um, there's been quite a few crossovers with that. Um, and Josh, there's a couple of the, the Impact guys have gone to New Japan Strong, basically to fill out rosters, you know, just to like, so they've got some variation, which is perfectly fine. Yeah, you know, makes sense. But it's, but it's, it's like the impacts of a bit of an odd beast these days. It's like, because like, Minoru uh, Suzuki's the good, the, I think impact fans are just impact fans, they're not wrestling fans. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind you of. You know, it's like, like last year or the year before when Minoru Suzuki went on his first big US tour and he's in like Arthur Ashe Stadium and everyone's singing Kose Niyare and you know, it's 10,000 seat. Everybody right. in the building knows who he is. 
right. two weeks later, he's he's doing that GCW show where he's like staring down Nick Cage and everyone's singing Cozy Near Air Eight to the point the the building's shaking and the camera's shaking. And then the week after that, he's on Impact TV taping, and this is like Cozy Near. <laughs> um, no one knows who he is, and I'm like, and Impact's not working with AEW anymore, right? Not no, not currently. No, I mean they're friendly. They do mention each other. There's no animosity between the two, but they're not working gotcha. together. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that gives me a little more context than I had when I watched this. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. they're not they're not horrible to each other, but they're not. AEW helped out NWA and Impact a lot when they first got going. I think they were trying to build some bridges and stuff, but. Any, mm-hmm. um, it was one of the complaints about, well, NWA was like, because a lot of people were pressuring NWA to do another empowered show again. Um, and they flatly refused, mainly because they're becoming the men's rights wrestling organization. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of the, the first empowered show had a lot of the lower AEW talent. I hate to say the right. lower, because they're all talented. But the, the ones, the ones who weren't be, being booked as the upper card. Yes. Yeah. Like it yeah. makes sense. That's it, you know. And um, and you could tell as well they they were really good compared to the indie talents that NWA hire on a regular basis, shall we say? Because they were all TV ready, they knew what they were doing. Whereas the NWA uh, ladies were still house show wrestlers, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. There was a lack of polish. But anywho, that's a conversation for another day. I don't miss. I don't want to dismiss people, but you know there are advantages to people working together because everybody learns, and you make yeah. Money. The Anything. only way the only way you get better is if you work with people who are better than you who know stuff that you don't. Exactly, that's true. Uh, New Japan Strong Openweight Championship match was next. Fred Rosser loses the championship to Kenta. Kenta finally wins a New Japan Heavyweight Championship after four years of trying. Sixteen minutes and thirty-one seconds. This was a solid little professional wrestling match. Fred Rosser. Um, obviously, he's more of a WWE guy as Darren Young, so I've not really watched too much of his stuff. In fact, I've watched more of his stuff in New Japan than I ever did in WWE. And Kenta is looking like the Kenta of old in this particular match. He's particularly being strong moving forward. And um, that's the bit that intrigues me. Like, Kenta actually, you know, he'd come off a big loss against Tanahashi the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, boy, in this match, he looked crisp and strong. And though he wins with the help of Juice Robinson, who supposedly signed for the signed for AEW three months ago, because um, New Japan and AEW still work together, obviously. Um, yeah, this this is what the, how the match ended. It wasn't, like, the best thing ever, but I thought it was a solid little professional wrestling match myself. What did you think of this one? This ran a little long for me. Um, I like both of those guys. I just, I feel like at this point, this particular type of match, the way it was structured, all the, all the heavy hitting spots and all the spots with the like different submissions in it was just, I feel like I've seen so much of that. I'm just kind of a little, it's landing a little flat for me. Um, it was nice to see Fred Rosser do stuff outside of WWE. Um, I obviously because he is openly queer in real life. Um, and at the time, if I remember correctly, I think he was one of the first openly gay wrestlers Mm. in WWE. Um, I always was rooting for that guy when he worked there because I just thought, you know, how terrible would it be if this guy who's obviously talented, who seems like a nice guy, comes out of the closet and then never gets the career success that everybody wants afterwards, right? Mm. Um, 
And I thought there was potential to some of the stuff they had him do while he was there. I actually kind of liked the like all American jock thing they were doing with him. I thought that was kind of refreshing. But um, seeing him in this context, uh, obviously he must have done other stuff for New Japan or he wouldn't have had that title belt. I don't know that I've seen any of it. I don't think I have. So I wasn't entirely sure how to take his character other than just this is a guy who shows up who's like very athletic, who can do submissions yeah. and um he might be a baby face but i i don't think he really he doesn't really work like either a heel or a baby face it felt very neutral to me yeah mm-hmm. um which maybe that's what was called for here i'm not i again i don't know the context um and that's probably why i didn't get super super into it i thought there were some nice spots in the match i liked the callback to darren young doing the like the chicken wing stf thing mm-hmm. um but, you know, I'm also, I'm a little sick of, like, uh, he tapped, but the referee wasn't looking. Like, yeah, I'm, think, I'm yeah, very I, tired of that. It's very annoying. I think, I think as well, I've got so, hmm, how can I put this? This is an American wrestling promotion, even though it's run by New Japan. It's still, relatively speaking, Rocky books it. It's mostly American talent, so they kind of run it like an American wrestling show. Mm-hmm. But that isn't necessarily what you watch New Japan Pro Wrestling for. And I think it's a lot, a lot of the Western fans have the same issue with House of Torture in, in New Japan, Japan. Um, though the Japanese fans do love House of Torture, and they are madly over. Um, it does make things for fans who watch New Japan for strong style. It does make things kind of like, well, why are we bothering watching this? Because we could watch this on AEW or Impact or WWE. Right. Why, right. You know, we're watching this because it's an alternative. So why are you using the same tropes? You know, and it's, yeah. Well, uh, and also, um, like, that particular trope happened in the WWE match that everyone, myself included, was watching when this New Japan broadcast had to start an hour late because they were having technical issues. Like, Basically, yeah. what happened was everybody flipped over to the WWE pay-per-view because Sami Zayn was wrestling Roman Reigns, and we all wanted to see how that story was going to play out. Or a lot of us did. There were a lot of people griping about mm-hmm. it on Twitter because it's Roman Reigns, and people are mad about that. But whatever. I wanted to see what was going to happen, even though I was pretty sure I knew how it was going to end. And the exact same spot was in it. And it was like, well, okay. I guess we're never <laughs> going to transcend the influence yeah. of McMahon and his eternally lazy booking. Yeah, this is the thing. And I think as well, it's, it's like, it, it has been overdone, I think, a little bit. In New, New Japan. That's really it. It's like, you know, if the major promotions all just like somehow did a, a handshake behind the scenes where they're like, for six years, we're not going to run that particular thing. <laughs> you know, maybe we could all like cool down and boo ourselves out for a little while on something else. And then it would come back and we'd be like, oh, I missed that. And that's essentially what happened in Japan in the late 90s. Because hmm. um, UWF came along and they had nothing but clean finishes because they were a sport. They weren't um, a, well, they portrayed themselves as a sport. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they were, you know, booked. They were booked. Um, but Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki took on board the fact that their crowds were really hot, were making lots of money, and they stopped doing countdown disqualification finishes and it changed the industry forever. And that's Dang. the way New Japan and Old Japan and Noah work now, because it's, it's considered inferior to have a disqualification or a countdown finish. And you very rarely see them. Right. 
um, or a DQ finish. So they just took notice of the, what another promotion was doing that was stealing houses left, right and centre. And it wasn't like a, a formal agreement. It's just everyone decided to do the same thing at the same time. <laughs> Next up, we had the Motor City Machine Guns. Alex Shelley and Chris Saban, the Impact and New Japan Strong Openweight Tag Team Champions. They defeated the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Gerald Nelson and Royce Isaacs of Team Filthy. Nine minutes and 21 seconds. I actually enjoy this match a lot because Motor City Machine Guns are the Motor City Machine Guns. And I love Royce Isaacs. I've loved Royce Isaacs for a long time since he was tag teaming with Thomas Latimer. And you have to understand, I have to like somebody an awful lot if they're tag teaming with Thomas Latimer. Um, and not like Gerald Nelson. He was really cool. But I'm not really seeing a lot of his stuff. Uh, this is kind of like my first deep dive into Mr. Nelson. But I appreciated what he did. This was kind of... They were trying to set up as a big group match between two big tag teams, but after about the first two minutes, I kind of figured out the way the match was going to go, so it didn't really come off the way I wanted it to in my head. Yeah. Um, I think the West Coast Wrecking Crew could have put the machine guns in more peril. In fact, you could have spot this round. If Fred Ross and Kenter had been nine minutes and this one had been 16 minutes, it would have been better balanced, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having said that, I think it was really good. What did you think here, Tess? Um, I think this was good in that everybody everybody worked hard and everybody had little moments in it where they got an opportunity to shine. I just, I also didn't care about it as a story. <laughs> and <laughs> I feel bad for saying that. I do think some of it is just, um, I felt like because I was waiting for the double main event and really I was only waiting for one half of the main event. Um <laughs> I was just, I was like, come on, guys, get to it. You know, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. And I also, I feel bad for tag team wrestlers because they so often get booked in that position on the card where the crowd is starting to get just a little burnt out. The crowd's like, okay, we're waiting for the next thing. And I felt like the crowd was having some of that reaction. Um, yeah. But it was nice to see Alex Shelley. Um, I always like him. And uh, I don't. I'm very neutral about Chris Sabin. Sometimes I really like him and sometimes I'm like, okay, that guy's there and it's fine. Um, <laughs> but you know, I didn't, I didn't dislike this. I just wasn't super into it. That's reasonable. I can understand that. I'd like to see Kushida and Kevin Knight going against the most machine guns. I think that, that would, would be really, really, fun. really cool because you'd have the time splitters versus each other, which is something we really yeah, see. That, that would, would be, awesome. be really fun. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to see Kushida and Mosey Machine Guns go after them six-man titles in Japan. I'm not sure how that would work out. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm just in general, I'm a fan of letting Kushida do more fun things. So yeah. That's basically how he's... Because like New Japan called him up when he left WWE and he was like, what, what do you want to do? And he was like, I want to wrestle in New Japan strong, I want to wrestle in New Japan, and I want to live in California and work in the dojo with Shibata. All right, then. <laughs> yes, there you go. Here's a plane ticket. Don't worry about it. Whatever you want. And that's basically what New Japan like Kashida do, because he was like, they wanted him back. He's that's still the dream job. Japan. Yeah, that's it. Oh, now we're into the meat and potatoes of this card with one unfortunate set of vegetables that we'll talk about in a minute. But first of all, loser leaves New Japan, the Mad King, Eddie Kingston, defeats Jay White in 19 minutes and seven seconds. Um... On the second most popular match on this card and the second highest rated match on this particular card, I adore Eddie Kingston. People are well aware of that. I am very fond of Jay White. I am really intrigued as to what's going to happen with Jay White because I don't think it's going to be the obvious thing. Um, and 
we all knew what was going to happen in this match because <laughs> we all know that Jay White's probably leaving because he'd lost to Hikaleo and therefore he was probably going to lose to Eddie Kingston because his world's falling apart. That's the storyline. Even if he stays in New Japan Pro Wrestling, they have to complete the storyline of Jay just falling apart. He's lost the title to Okada and therefore his world has collapsed around him. He'd lost the main event at the Tokyo Dome. There is nothing left for him to do. And now Hikaleo, um, a rookie, can beat him. Then Eddie Kingston was going to be king of the hill. It had to happen. It was just how Eddie and Jay were going to tell that particular story, and that's what made this match great. It's two supreme storytellers, two supreme talkers, who really know how to get a massive amount out of nothing at all. And that's why I enjoyed this match so much. It was just really cool for me. What do you think of this one, Chelsea? Because um, you kind of start, well, kind of, once you start watching New Japan, but you kind of... As Jay's rise came up, you were watching it less. So what's your thoughts on Jay and what's your thoughts on Eddie Kingston? Hmm. Okay, so my thoughts on Jay, when I first saw Jay in New Japan, I felt like, at the time, I think he had just started being a heel character. Yeah. And he wasn't wrestling like a heel yet. I mean, he was doing some of the obvious heel things, but he was still a little too likable. Yeah. And... I think I stopped watching around the time when he hit his stride. So, honestly, he he seemed maybe not physically tired to me in this match, but I kind of got the vibe that he was, like, emotionally tired in this match. Yeah. Um, this definitely felt like the end of something for him. And, I mean, we all kind of knew that, right? Like, I think... Yeah. Even having only just followed the internet gossip, I was like, okay, well, everybody says Jay White is probably leaving, and we don't know where he's going to... But um, he seemed, he felt like he was ready to be done here. Mm. And his attempts at being like uh, the heel kind of fell a little flat for me because I think it just didn't have the same venom behind them that no. I know he can do really well. He can do that very unlikable, what the hell is this douchebag doing bad guy stuff. And I yes. just think he was not on board for that today and that's okay you know that happens um i love eddie kingston i think he's great i have really enjoyed him in AEW. i love the fact that he has no problem getting everybody super riled up on twitter by talking shit about people that's kind of refreshing honestly um it was fun seeing eddie be a babyface in his eddie kingston way because when he's the good guy He's still Eddie Kingston. He's still gonna knock you over. He's still, <laughs> he's still, you know, he's still that guy. Yeah. Um, so this is fun. And, you know, it's always, it's also, I have to say, it's also nice to see Eddie Kingston get, like, the a star treatment. <laughs> a big yeah. win, but also get the star treatment that, for a long time, Eddie Kingston was not getting the star treatment everywhere. No. So to see a big company like New Japan say, like, well, we brought in Eddie Kingston. You like him, right? He's going to win this. That was yeah. kind of nice. I was like, okay, cool. That guy deserves it. Um, I, I wish that those two had had an opportunity to wrestle each other on a pay-per-view like this. Like a year or two before Jay knew he was going anywhere. Yeah. I think that would have been a better, juicier, more dramatic match. Because both those guys have those things to bring to the table. I, mean, I think the, the, the stakes on this just felt a little low. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the story, the story they told of, like, 
Jay had everything. I'm not to say that Jay had everything handed to him on a silver platter, but he was the chosen one from a young age. He was going to be the guy. He was handpicked by Bad Luck Farley and Prince Derek to be the leader of Bullet Club. You know, he, he was on a rocket to the moon when Eddie has done everything within his power to get to be a professional wrestler and had that taken away from him time and time again. Um, it's the best story to tell in wrestling. It's perfect for those three, those two characters. And yeah, I think telling that story two years ago um, would have been awesome. But I guess especially it wasn't before we saw Eddie have his matches with the big names in AEW, where he finally yeah. starting to get his flowers. Like, yeah. you know, he he and Punk had that great feud in AEW, where they kind of reversed the Punk Cena dynamic a little bit. Like, yeah. I feel like it's not a mystery to anybody. I mean, m- maybe it is to some people. I guess there are still some people who will never like Eddie Kingston because of, I think because of his look, he doesn't have the look of like the Vince body guy. But um, personally. Really? Yeah, exactly. There are lots of great wrestlers who haven't. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I always, I always people say he doesn't look like a superstar. I said, no, he doesn't look like a superstar for today. You know, in the 1970s, he would have looked like a professional wrestler. Yeah. You know, well, and also, also, I don't care if somebody looks like a superstar. How many times have yeah. we seen wrestlers who have the look who? are not fun to watch. Eddie Kingston can deliver a good dramatic match and he's fun to watch. But yeah, I think this would have been more meaningful if it had happened at a time where Jay was just on a different vibe and at a time where Eddie hadn't yet been handed his flowers by like some of the biggest name guys in the industry, like Mox and Punk, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I don't think it was bad. I just, it, there was, it was like, it was like 75% when I knew those guys had 100 in them. Money on the table, shall we say. They've got yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I would like to point out um, Jackie and Carissa, who I follow on Twitter, were in the front row and they were the ones that refused to two sweet Jay White as you went down the aisle. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love them too. They're ace. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was really cool. Um, Lots of cool. I hate to say this because I love Tom Waller and I love Homicide. I think they're two of my favorite wrestlers who just don't care. They had a filthy rules fight and it was dreadful. <laughs> I will say it was dreadful. I don't say calling all wrestling matches dreadful because there was effort, but this just didn't fit. It was a round peg in a square hole with barbed wire wrapped around it. Mm. It's just, it just it, don't know what was going on here. Yeah, that's how I felt. I didn't like it. I thought it was boring. Um, yeah. Which, if you feel like a hardcore match is boring, something's wrong. Yeah. Hardcore matches are many things, and they are not for everybody, but they're not supposed to be boring. No, not with two wrestlers of this quality. And it's also like they brought a door out, and it's like, you New Japan Pro Wrestling, you can't afford tables. Door it also what, yeah, door is what the local indie promotions use because they can't afford to buy tables. What are you doing? Well, you know, my theory about that, and I could be totally wrong, is that they were trying not to steal Mercedes and Kyrie's thunder. That is a that is a possibility, and I would agree with that. Then do something else entirely. <laughs> right, and yeah. that's that's the caveat: is yeah. don't don't do don't half-ass it. Do it or not, or don't do it. Yeah. Um, my other thing is just like, I don't know, I, 
this just this this felt to me like those two guys were very angry at each other and sometimes in wrestling i'm like i want to know why and sometimes in wrestling i'm like okay can you guys just like go somewhere else and work this out like yeah. i don't i don't care get to the get to whatever's coming after this yes yeah, so. i don't need a wrestling match you need therapy <laughs> yeah yeah and honestly that's that's often how i feel about homicide I, he's a good worker he obviously there are, and I know wrestlers love him. Like he is mm. one of those guys whose name comes up often enough on people's lists of people who are influences for them that he is a wrestler's wrestler. And I know that. But there's a vibe there that I just I've never gotten into. And that's mm. not that's not me saying anything about like who he is as a person. Just I I don't know. There's something there that doesn't resonate with me personally. So I have a harder time enjoying stuff that he's involved in. The interesting thing was he was NWA junior heavyweight champion for most of last summer. And it was a really quiet, reserved, pure wrestling championship reign. He wrestled everybody in the junior heavyweight division in the NWA. Hmm. I saw four or five matches of his. No histrionics. Kind of babyface, kind of traditional NWA junior heavyweight champion. Champion comes in town, defends again. Just that. Perfectly fine, dropped the title, moved on. And it was just like, huh. it was interesting. It was about the most interesting thing the NWA did last year because they just made homicide intentionally boring, but it got loads more watchable. Huh. <laughs> it's just like one of those things. And I'm like, okay. I mean, for some guys, like it's, <laughs> this is, this is going to sound, I'm sorry for, for wrestling fans who don't watch gymnastics, that sometimes they make everything about gymnastics. But like one of the things that's really <laughs> fun sometimes if you watch a lot of gymnastics, which I do, um, is that once you really appreciate what gymnastics, like what really, really good gymnastics looks like, is you spot people who are doing the basics really, really, really well. And the basics, seeing them done really well, like a back handspring is one of the most basic things you'll see a gymnast do, right? Yeah. Sometimes seeing someone who has mastered a back handspring and can make it look really effortless and really beautiful and really powerful and can use it to give themselves the right amount of momentum into the air. It's just so, it's like artful and clean and wholesome. It just makes you feel good. I don't know. And um, and there there are wrestlers who, when they tone themselves down to like what you were saying, very classic, very basic wrestling, that is something they have, and or something they can refine themselves into under the right circumstances. Hmm. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I I'm curious now that you've said that because that's not something I would have guessed you would have ever said about homicide because I don't watch NWA. Um, no. So I mean, I, I watch I watch the women a little bit. I watch. Um, I watched a little of Teen Hex because I like Allison Kay and Marty Bell. But yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I but other than that, I don't them. follow it. Yeah. yeah. Say what? I suddenly went off them when their world champion became a horror story. Yeah. What a what a shock there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Anywho. Anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on to happier times and the glorious socialist future that is the end of the New Japan Pro Wrestling World Television Champion, Zack Sabre Jr. He defeated Clark Connors in 14 minutes and six seconds, just sneaking one under the 15-minute time limit there. Um, this was fun. I didn't ever see Clark Connors in a catch-as-catch-stun-style environment, but obviously he's a New Japan Pro Wrestler who went to the New Japan Dojo, so he's going to be a bit catch, isn't he? Because he has to be. Um, but he really went toe-for-toe -toe with Zack Sabre Jr. for 14 minutes, and this was a lot of fun to watch. Of course, you will not be privy to the end of Suzuki Goon and the, and the establishment of TMDK, would you, Chelsea? 
Um, I knew that uh, Suzuki Gun ended, but I didn't really know the details. Um, so at the end of last year, uh, the World Tag on the World Tag League um, final night, or was it set? That was the final block night. Minoru Suzuki came to ring and announced that um, at the Kurokan end of year show, uh, the World Tag League final, the World Tag League final, there was a, there was a show at the end of, of uh, December. Suzuki Gun would be disbanding because. The main reason was that the group had been put together to help Minoru Suzuki win the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. And despite the fact he'd won everything else, he hadn't won that, <laughs> mm, basically. Okay. And um, he said, we should let everyone go free to do their own thing. And that should be that. And then everyone is free to do that. And on the last night, he gave everybody their due. He was like, you know, uh, Dookie you've come on leaps and bounds as a professional wrestler in the last two years and Destiny, you are the superstar. You all should have been, but never believed you could be. And Zach, I still want to beat you up. <laughs> you I love you. that. That's yeah. <laughs> and um, they had a map. They had, it was Suzuki Gun versus Suzuki Gun. And it was Taichi and Zach with Destiny and Duki against Taka, um, Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki, and the other person whose name I can't remember. Uh, Takamichi Noku, Takamichi Noku, Despi, Lance Archer, and Minoru Suzuki versus Despi and Taichi and oh, Kanemaru. That was it. Yeah, Kanemaru was on that team as well. And at the end of the match, Suzuki took everybody's finishes, even his own team's finishes. <laughs> That's very sweet. And then, uh, and then officially they disbanded. And uh, even Iska came back running down the aisle in full wrestling gear, by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and as a result of that, um, Taichi, Takamichinoku, Kanemaru, and Duki, uh, sorry, yeah, they formed a group called Just Four Guys. That's the name of their faction. It's They're Just, just four, four Guys. That's what just it's called. Just Four Guys. That's what it's called. Just Four Guys. Okay. <laughs> I respect um, the honesty. Yes, that's it. Um, they're they're kind of they're they're uh, kind of a bit of an underdog babyface team. Um, Shane Haste and Mad Mikey Nichols invited Zack Sabre Jr. to rejoin TMDK because he was part of TMDK in the Noah days, and he did. But he also brought in Kosei Fujita from the dojo, so he's the only young boy to join a faction in a very long time. <laughs> So he's tagging with them. And actually, they were wrestling Chaos on the last tour, and Zach was showing him how to put submission holes on Ishii and then tagging him in to show him how it was done. So he could just like, Fujita would have to come in and then put the submission hole because Zach had taught him. So that's hilarious. I love that. That's great. <laughs> and Minoru Suzuki and Desperado, um, uh, they, were, they came, well, they came to save Ren Narita at the end of the match against House of Torture. And Narita was very wary of them and they tagged together for a month because Minoru Suzuki and El Desperado were now white meat baby faces, because of course they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Narita didn't trust them at all. And then eventually kind of came around to the idea. And then Suzuki managed to persuade House of Torture to put their never open weight six man tag team championships on the line. And Narita and Suzuki and Desperado won. And they are the nice. now fashion called Strong Style. Okay. So yeah, so you, uh, you you broke up one faction to get through two an expanded faction and two new factions. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, and they're all babyface factions. Interesting. Ish. 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 Okay. <laughs> Ish. 
as much as you can like fall in love with Kaminaru and Tai Chi. <laughs> like Duki is very likable and Taka is very likable, but Duki and Tai Chi are kind of like they're, they're still scum. Yeah, <laughs> they're lovable scum, but they're scum. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> love to boo them. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'll, he'll master Kanemaru. So that's where we're at with that. So Zack Sabre Jr., that's the Maeda Neil. He's the, not the leader, front man. They've described it, they're describing him as, as in a band, like he's the front man. I like that. That is yeah. appropriate for someone with his jawline. Yes, definitely. Um, and the only complaint I had about this match, it was really fun, was Ian Riccoboni and Matt Raywalt just battling on about Britpop in the 90s and it's like oh my god I know what was that <laughs> like Ian shut up <laughs> it's like Zach's, Zach likes DIY punk rock and rave music not indie necessarily I mean yeah, like, Zach, yeah Zach's taste is is fairly obscure to an American and to a British person it may be less so but it's still mostly not stuff you're going to hear on the radio <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah so yeah Ian if you're listening mate please stop I, yeah. he, follow, he follows me on LinkedIn maybe I should have a word um <laughs> <laughs> i have to wonder how many times wrestling fans who he's like friendly with on the internet send him uh private messages with like unsolicited critique <laughs> i'm not saying you shouldn't do it i mean i, I trust you to be able to do it like appropriately and politely but uh yeah, mr Riccoboni, sir if there was ever a match where you think it would be nice for them yeah. to talk about the moves in it you know yeah yeah I think I, I like Ricky Bunny a lot. I think he's really good. And Ryan Reynolds, I, I really like his comment. Sorry, Rewalt. I like his commentary because he commentates for Impact too. And he's heelish without being too heelish. If you see what I mean. Yeah, it's he's not Corey Graves, so it's, yeah, it's better. Yeah, yeah, he's not. He clearly respects the baby faces if he doesn't agree with them, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah, and and Ricky is actually pretty good when he gets going because he does get into a match and he does care. But I think. Ian Riccoboni commentating on a Ring of Honor show is a completely different animal to Riccoboni commentating on a New Japan show. And I'm wondering yes. if, if that's because he's got a producer that's not vibing with him somehow going that's on there. That's interesting. Or I don't, know, I don't know what the freedom is for them on the AEW shows to do their own commentary. But when he's with Caprice Coleman, he's a far better commentator. Mm. You know... I'm not saying he's doing a bad job on the New Japan shows. He's listenable, you know. He's not like right. some commentators I could mention, but I think it, I, partly because he, you know, he spent so much time in the ring on the locker room. He knows all those guys. He's intimately knowledgeable of their stories and stuff. And I don't think he's quite there yet with the New Japan guys in the same way. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, um, but it, I think then that kind of ties into other things with production values on the whole show. It's not. When New Japan used to come and it was just New Japan, the shows felt bigger. They were in bigger arenas. Well, this is a pretty big arena, but they felt bigger. Whereas these ones in these arenas yeah. don't feel quite as present. New Japan did not invest in the production of this show the way that they should have. And the reason that I say that is partly because it started an hour late. And the audio was messed up for the entire pre-show. So anybody that was watching the pre-show, wherever they aired mm. it, couldn't hear anything. And then there was a big blurry screen for everybody who bought the pay-per-view to the extent that like all the Fight TV comments on social media were like, hey guys, why did I pay $20 for this thing that I can't watch? Yeah. Um, 
it's frustrating that they keep doing business with Fight TV when every time they do, Fight TV does this. It's yeah. the second or third time it's happened in my recollection, and I haven't watched that many of these. Like, they've definitely had more events than I have watched. So, yeah, I'm just I putting think... that out there. Yeah, That is no, a serious I... area where they have a lot of room to improve. They need to I... invest in that shit. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that you think back to the G1 in Dallas or the, the shows at the Cow Palace, and they were just house shows, but they felt huge. Yeah, yeah. 10, the Cow Palace people. especially, th- those yeah. shows were real good. I mean, it's like that 10,000 people at the Cow Palace to see um, Young Guns, uh, not Young Guns, <laughs> Young Bucks versus Kenny and um, Ibushi. You know, that, that felt yeah. like a show. You know, that was, that was awesome. And not to say this wasn't, but a lot of it felt like it unfinished. I felt like New Japan expects that audiences outside of Japan are going to give them a whole bunch of slack. Or don't matter, perhaps, because they're not in Japan. And I don't know that they know that they've realized like what they're competing with. Like, especially if you're going to run a show that's happening on the same night as a WWE pay-per-view, guys, Mm. don't have audio problems that take over an hour to resolve when you start your show, please. Yeah. A little ridiculous. And I mean, even then, it's like seven days later, Noah are doing the Tokyo Dome, and you know they're going to do it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, four days later, and you're lending your guys for the main event and semi-main event. Yeah. And you know they're going to do it, right? Because you share buildings with them all the time. <laughs> I feel know? like New Japan invests in the shows that are in Japan, and they don't invest in the shows that aren't in Japan, yeah. and that's a big mistake. Yeah, I think. But it's a mistake that. I feel like it's a mistake that every Japanese brand makes when they interact with the rest of the world. It's like it's not in Japan, so we don't care. And it's like I mean, okay, but you're leaving a bunch of money on the table. I mean, I that show, the Royal Quest Two show. The first show, the Royal Quest One show that was at the Copper Box, was a massive show. There was a five thousand seater. Mm. The second Royal Quest Two, um, which I went to, um, was two thousand seater, and that's a big difference because it makes your perception of that building. Now it was a really good show, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But equally, it, it does make you know. One of the reasons why WWE got so big in the 80s was because Vince McMahon turned the lights off. So you could see 10,000 people having the time of their lives. Yeah. That's the whole point. People having fun is a draw. So, yeah, you're more likely fun. to pop for something if you hear the people around you yeah. doing it too. It's just basic psychology. Yeah. And it's like, book bigger shit, book bigger arenas. If you don't film them, you don't film them. Do what WCW did and like, Grab the hard camera on either side, but you know, you can do it. It's, I mean, it's the trouble is like, I think they're a bit, it's understandable coming back because they didn't have, they didn't have, I mean, they didn't have the big matches, I suppose, that they could have done. And, but then again, this is the biggest match that they could have in the sense of Akada versus Tanahashi is New Japan Pro Wrestling. Sure. And it's like, and this, this, this card, but this card sold out on, you know, on Mercedes and Kyrie alone, they didn't need any yep. You know, they could have probably sold this, they probably could have done the Cow Palace on this show. You know, 
Maybe we're not got yeah. 10,000. I don't, but that's, that's part of my thing is how do you not book a bigger venue for Mercedes? Yeah. But it's also possible maybe they weren't sure that she would land with their audience. But in the U.S., I feel like it's a fairly safe bet. I mean, Sasha yeah. Banks was a bankable star the whole time she was in WWE, no pun intended. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like it was a safe. And Kyrie is known to the U.S. audience because she was in WWE. So, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I feel like they probably could have booked the Cow Palace. Maybe they were having a hard time finding a venue that was available that didn't already have deals to do event on a competing or something i don't know possibly we didn't really talk an awful lot about zach saber jr and clark connors we should tell we should give clark his due because i like <laughs> clark connors what did you yeah. think of clark connors <laughs> um so i have seen that guy wrestle in person probably three or four times and this is the first time i've ever seen him wrestle where i was like that was really memorable yeah. Um, which normally, a lot of times I have the opposite experience with wrestlers of his particular type and style, where I I see them in person and I get it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this was the first time I was like, oh, I'm interested in that guy. And maybe that's the star power of Zack Sabre Jr., right? Like, Zack Sabre Jr. has a remarkable ability to make his weird type of wrestling style work with just about anybody. Because mm-hmm. um, he's so experienced and so good. Um, and he's such a dick. Like, his character is so good at, like, just being really aggressive and mean that you sort of want somebody to, like, slap him around and get get him back. It's, it's Jim Breaks. It's Jim Breaks and um, a load of British shows from the 80s. Dave Finley, mm-hmm. who we didn't mention. We should, we've got to go back and talk about that. Um, I was sort of by that sentence, but it's a lot of, like, if you, I'll, I'll send you a Jim Breaks match after this show. And if you watch okay. it, you'll go, course. <laughs> yeah. It'll just make sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. Annoying little shit. That's yep. what that humor is, and that's all he is. Um, yes, we didn't mention this. At the end of the JY Eddie Kingston match, Dave Finley the fourth um came down to ringside and attacked Jay White um and turned heel. We don't know what he's turning heel to, but just generally turned heel on Jay White, who's a heel, which is a bit confusing. Yeah, it was a little weird. But he gave a a, a speech about, you know. Um, fourth generations of business and being an American he's treated as an Irishman and being in Ireland he's treated as American but he's just really a wrestler and I'm intrigued as to where he's going to go with this because his dad was one of the best heels of all time and that, I hate comparing people to their father but watching David Finley has been one of my favourite baby faces in New Japan because he's such a pure white baby face and I'm intrigued as to how they're going to go with this because I didn't think they'd get Jay White over as a heel because I thought he was too much of a babyface to get over. Because yeah. he was literally babyface when he came back, which is why he grew the beard out. Um, David's already got David has already got a beard, so that's not so much. But it's it's yeah, I'm intrigued as how they're going to make this work. But I think they're going. He was saying things that I like that were touching on a lot of things. But I'm not sure a non-wrestling crowd gets it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would encourage him to not do a gimmick that rests too, 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 too heavily on nationality and where you come from. But because mm. I, I just, you know what it is. Um, Vince does that shit or did that shit way, 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 way too much, and so I yeah. feel like a lot of us sort of roll our eyes, which. 
is mm-hmm. not to say that what he has to say about those things isn't valid. Yes. I just think if you don't know the context and you don't know the history, it can be it can be difficult. Whether or not that lands really depends on the right audience or not. Yeah. I mean, he was clearly with that audience, it was landing because they didn't like it. But then again, it's equally yeah. Taku J. White, who's just left the company. Right. Right. So, and he knocked the microphone out of his hand like he didn't let him yeah. speak. So, yeah. So it's, it's, which is the right thing to do. Um, for he, that's, that was perfectly acceptable. I have no problem with that. But it is, I'm intrigued as where it can go. Boy, it's, you know, it's, it's, we'll see what happens. But then, mm-hmm. anyway, but anyway, back to the match you really want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the semi main event Mercedes Monet defeated Kyrie 26 minutes and 27. I should say the double main event. I apologize. The first half of the double the main event. The real main event. The real main event. The main no, event that should have been. Been Tanahashi, but the real main event. It really should have been. Because it is like. I, they sold, they sold out of the building. They didn't need anyone else. Why, why does he have to sure the men on this card that they're important? It's Okada and Tanahashi. They're I the guys. I, the only reason I can think of it is it because it's the age of the championship. But then again, the New Japan Strong Championship is new is older than the World Television Championship, so it should have gone after that. So then don't have them fight for that championship on this show and give them another reason to have a match. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it it's yeah. It, but again, I think it's. I think they were afraid they wouldn't draw. But it's like, well, but you've already booked it. You've already drawn. You've already have the crowd. You don't need them. The title doesn't. The title's not the draw. The wrestlers yeah. the draw. Yeah, and you don't need a Kara and Tanahashi. And I think that's. I'll talk about Kara and Tanahashi at the time. But it, there's issues for me with that match. Not that that match was bad. It was great. But I'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about Mercedes and, and Kyrie. Yes. You have obviously, as we talked about, we're really looking forward to this match. Uh, what hit home for you in this match that was really important as far as the New Japan Junior New Japan Women's Division, sorry, is is going forward? Um, so I'm not exactly sure what New Japan is gonna do with their women's division going forward. I was a little surprised that Mercedes won because that definitely means that she's gonna be back a whole bunch, hopefully, or at least have one or two more really big title defenses that we're going to get to see at New Japan events. So that's exciting for me. Um, If they do that and they put them on the New Japan uh, streaming network or whatever, wherever those are, I will watch them. I will show up to watch them, which means that's a good call. Um, I was really excited for these two to have a match because... Kyrie and Mercedes was a dream match of mine before Kyrie ever left stardom to go to WWE. Mm. Uh, Kyrie is just one of the best, most expressive baby faces everywhere, right? Like, yeah, he's so, so emotional. She sucks you in. She has the expressiveness of a TV star. And Mercedes has... I feel like for Mercedes, my uh, my um, my perspective on her wrestling style is not so much that she cares as much about the theatrics of that. She wants the physicality of the wrestling to tell a story. Mm. And Kyrie can get you there because she has that. She has she has the training, she has the experience, she has the ability to meet the person she's wrestling on their level, whatever that is. Whether it's her job to put them over, whether it's her job to 
um, to beat them up, you know? <laughs> uh, it, this was this was so much fun. Like, I, I, I will admit, I was a little thrown the first time I watched it live, and it was for two reasons. First of all, this went on the air at about 1 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, so I was pretty tired. Um, and second of all, when Mercedes came out in the Hana Kimura gear, a lot of people thought that was very heartwarming. I was not sure how to feel about it. Um, mm. I don't know. Like, I had the privilege of seeing Hana in person when Stardom came to New York um, for their one show that they did during a Mania weekend. And um, she made a very big impression. She was absolutely wonderful. What an incredible performer. I was, like everybody else, devastated when she died. Um, so sad. She was so young. And Stardom has done a beautiful job of making sure that her legacy is preserved. They have shows yeah. in her honor. Um, a lot of the wrestlers do little, like, little tributes to her. You know, it's very much, it's very much something where she is near and dear to the hearts of all of the Stardom fans. And, yeah. um... I wasn't sure how I felt about Mercedes wearing Hana gear because I almost felt, I was like, this is your first statement in New Japan, your first statement really as a wrestler since separating from WWE, the thing that almost everybody knows you for. Why are you doing that by dressing up like somebody else? Yeah. And also, you know, I was kind of like, is that a little self-serving? Is that is that potentially like, you know, this is supposed to look heartwarming, but maybe is insincere. The thing, the thing that sort of made it feel acceptable to me after the fact, and I have no idea if Mercedes talked to anybody about the fact that she was going to do that or not. I will say, I hope she told Kyrie about it. I hope it wasn't yeah. a surprise for Kyrie because Kyrie was one of the last people to speak to Hana when she was alive. Yeah. Like, I don't know how close they were personally, but I know they were close enough that Kyrie was one of the people who tried to get her help when yeah. she was suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that that wasn't something that Kyrie wasn't aware of beforehand, because I, I know if it was me, I would have been kind of freaked out. Um, but I did see that Hannah's mother posted about this and said yeah. that it meant a lot to her that Mercedes yeah. did that because Hannah really loved Mercedes work in WWE and looked up to her and respected her. And so I was like, okay, maybe this is something that maybe there's just stuff at play there that I'm not personally aware of, but that really yeah. threw me. I had to watch this match a couple of times before I could completely appreciate it because that threw me. No, I was I, not expecting that. I think this, yeah, it's, uh, how can I put this? I think it's complicated. It's, it's complicated. Legacy, and I think, you know, it's like, the Hanukkah Murrah story is awful. And, you know, as a wrestling journalist who covered her, as someone who was a fan of hers, who watched her matches, who watched her mother's match, I've been watching um, family wrestle for like 15 years. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was the same kind of reaction for me. And I think it's difficult to have this conversation because of, you know, in one sense, because you don't want to, you, you want to take somebody at face value that, yes, they were paying tribute to a person they really enjoyed the work of. And I'm sure that's what she meant. I don't think she meant anything other than by it. But, yeah, I think so. But also, this is, 
I'm going to say this out loud, I blame Conan for the offhanded remark he made a couple of weeks ago about Takeshita paying tribute to um, Eddie Guerrero, saying he's not Mexican, he shouldn't do that. And I'm like, well, first of all, you're not Mexican either, you're Cuban. And Eddie was an American, he wasn't Mexican either. So what does that have to do with anything? They're in El Paso, of course, Takeshita who is, from what I understand, a really nice person. Everyone fully respects him. He was probably just doing something that he felt was a nice tribute to Eddie in Eddie's hometown. And I think that's reasonable. But it does put doubt in your mind when you think about other things like that. And I'm not blaming you. Conan was being stupid. It was just something he just... He was saying stuff for the sake of saying stuff. And he's got to get people to listen to his podcast. Because, yeah, he has to. Well, and also, I mean, not... but it also puts the it puts that thought in the back of your mind about everybody else who ever does anything that's mildly nice. <laughs> well, and also, also, I mean, not not to trivialize Eddie Guerrero's sudden death and his legacy, but um, Eddie died a long time ago. Now, yeah. Hana died what three or four years ago? Yeah, you know, and like, and she was soul. twenty years old, something like that. She was yeah. pretty young, like. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It For me, what it did is it brought up all these feelings that I had about Hana and her legacy. And is it right for a person to be copying some of her aesthetic to be wrestling with someone who she knew? And if Mercedes had worn the gear that she was wearing at the end of the match, after she took the corset off, after she took the furry boot covers off, if she hadn't done the gas mask, if she had done that and just done the slinging one leg over the rope thing that uh, Tokyo Cyber did, that I would have been like, okay, that's lovely. That's beautiful. And I wouldn't have had all those other feelings about it. It was that it was such a close copy. Um, I feel like I'm spending all this time talking about this and not the match, which is not what Mercedes would have wanted, right? No, yeah, but it's equally, I think we don't have these conversations on a real level sometimes because... You, you don't go out of the way. It's like, it's difficult to, like... You're going to get shouted at on the internet for yeah. daring to criticize somebody who is well-respected. Yeah. That's it. You know, it, it's like, not, not we're not knocking her performance. Her performance was excellent. But there's a conversation to be had here about some things do make people uncomfortable. It didn't make me uncomfortable in that sense, but I could understand why it didn't make you uncomfortable or you had to... It threw you off, like you said. That's it threw me point. off. I, it took yeah. me about halfway through the match to really follow the story of the match and actually think back through like what I had seen at the beginning of it. Yeah. And I mean, some of that was also that I was really tired the first time I watched it. I've watched it three times now, um, so yeah. I had an opportunity to actually like really try to fully appreciate it. Um, and it is an incredible match. Uh, mm. I love when they mess up each other's finishers. I love Mercedes fucking up the elbow drop by kicking Kyrie in the elbow. I love um, Kyrie messing up her frog splash. That was that was so great. I just, that was, ugh, so much fun. Um, I loved the fact that the crowd was so hot for it, that this is awesome chance that started before they even locked up. Yeah. Um, I loved the springboard into the bank statement and Mercedes really getting to like really get down and do the kind of stuff that I know she has always wanted to do that was not allowed in most of her WWE career. Normally you would get one or two little moments in a big Mercedes match where she could do some of these spots. 
Mm. And I know that these things are just like, I know that that's the type of wrestling she likes. Right. Yeah. Um, I could have done without the table spot. I don't think it had the impact they wanted it to have, but I also like that new Japan let them do a table spot. I think that's great. I think there are a lot of promotions that were putting whatever kind of money they had to put into this, whatever kind of money you have to spend to get Mercedes Monet on your, on your card. Cause I'm sure that's not cheap. Uh, there are a lot of companies that would have said, no, we're going to need you to win the title and be a big star. You can't go through a table tonight. Right. Yeah. Um, I loved Mercedes doing Bailey to belly because, <laughs> uh, I mean, Bailey was in the building in a money print jumpsuit and jacket. <laughs> it's just like, ugh. I just, I, I love their friendship. I love their relationship. It's wonderful. Um, the Bailey to belly, I had a little flashback to seeing Bailey do that to her in NXT Brooklyn. And that was, mm. I got little chills. That was wonderful. Um, I will say, I think I could tell Mercedes was trying to slow the match down a little bit. And I don't know if that was nerves or if that was her trying to shake off some of the, like some of the WWE conditioning and she hasn't fully a hundred percent gotten through it all yet where she can go at the same speed that matches typically go in Japan when they're big yeah. matches over a title. Um, the pacing of this felt more to me like a WWE match and less like a Joshi match. And that's not bad. Um, it's just, I don't see her sticking with that moving forward. I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if, now that she's gotten the title and she's got her confidence boost and this, you know, she's gotten the first one under her belt and out of the way, shaking off the ring rust. Not going to be surprised if she picks up the pace. Um, Kyrie reminded everyone who hadn't watched her in a while, because if you don't watch stardom, you know, there were people I was seeing on Twitter saying like, Oh man, I missed her. Like, it's so nice to see her again. And she reminded everyone why she's that girl. Uh, yeah. She just looked like such a star, and this was, I mean, this was definitely the match of the night for me. I'm not sure why there was a match after it. Uh, I know we're going to talk about that in a sec. Um, they both worked their asses off. They worked harder than everybody else on this card. It was Easily. incredible. Yeah. Um, and Kyrie, Kyrie getting down on her knees to help Mercedes, like, put the title around her waist and, like, properly fasten it in the back, I uh squealed and cried a little bit because that was so <laughs> sweet and it meant so much to me as someone who really loves Mercedes and her work um it meant so much to me that Kyrie had fun having that match yeah. and that it didn't feel I'm sure it's not fun for her to lose a title belt, right? But that it was didn't feel like a crushing, gutting loss to her where she was just like, I can't believe you did that. You know, I, she enjoyed this and I loved that. Um, I, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed this and I really look forward to at some point seeing those two get to get in a ring again, even if it's just like 10 minutes during a tag match, I'm going to be excited about it. I think that's the thing, is the IWGP Women's Championship is also a belt that's only three months old. You know, and that's no offence to it. Right. It's got to build a legacy. 
and he had a pretty strong legacy. I was there for the start of the legacy. I saw the first match of the tournament. I know. So, yeah, which is uh, Ava versus um, the Alpha Female, Jazzy Gower. Um, oh. And yeah, it was it was it was great, and it, it is great. Going to be a great championship. Um, but it's matches like this and the quality. I know there were polls on Twitter before the match started saying, "What does what does Mercedes have to do here to make make it work?" And all of them were like, "She has to have not just the best match tonight; she has to have an all timer." And they pretty mm-hmm. much did. That's what they did. They had a match that's easily the best match on the card, arguably one of the best matches New Japan's had all year. Yeah. Um, there will be. I hate to say that there will be better. Where you've still got the no, there will go. be, and you've got the New Japan Cup and the G1 to go, and there's, there's more chance for women to get those matches as well. And it's didn't have been like you said, it's like who are they going to get next? That is the big yeah. question because they're in the unenviable position of not having to run a roster for this. They can pick and choose any woman wrestler who's not signed to WWE in the world. Yes. <laughs> and more importantly, Mercedes Monet can go wrestle any wrestler she wants to that isn't signed to WWE in the world. She has the Minoru Suzuki deal. She can do what she likes. And she just signed with United Talent Agency and the new season of The Mandalorian comes out next week. I just... Like, this is going to sound condescending and a little weird, right? Because we all have parasocial relationships with these wrestlers. And even though Mercedes high-fived me when I was I was near the front row at a WWE show one time, it's not like I actually know her, right? But I am so proud of her. <laughs> like, Yeah, but that's the thing, though, isn't it? That's, the, you, that's perfectly fine. I'm proud of Dave Finley, David Finley, or David Finley IV, because... I watched him grow up in the wrestling industry. And that's kind of what, you know, especially with New Japan, because there's such an emphasis on the rookies. And Japanese wrestling in general, you see the future. And and that's this is the first time WWE's done this, because she's one of the most successful products of that particular system. You heard about why she didn't resign, right? I didn't hear the full story, no. So this is, if I remember correctly... And somebody tell me on Twitter if I'm wrong about this. But what Sean Ross Sapp said in his Fightful newsletter is that Mercedes asked for the same amount of money that Becky Lynch makes. And they said no because they felt like her peak of her stardom was already behind her. And that she was no longer going to be in that hot number one spot that fans wanted to see. And, And that was... When Hunter was in charge, while Vince was <laughs> elsewhere, and Hunter yeah. passed on re-signing someone who was like, who prior to that he had always like cited her as one of his successes, and I was like, it's right there, you idiot! How the hell did you let her go? Do you want to know an interesting comparison as far sure. as WWE signings in history is concerned? Sure. Exactly the same thing happened to Nature Boy Rick Flair. Really? When? In 1992, in his first run with the WWF, after the title loss to Savage, they went back to negotiate um, what was the contract extension or next contract. And Vince told him, you're done. You're finished. You're going down the card because you've done all the things that you, we need you to do. And we don't think there's any money left in you. And that's, that's it. If you stay... You can go after mid-card titles, and that's it. And Rick said, 
all right, no hard feelings, fair enough, that's the business, I'm off back down south. And was on the WCW pay-per-view within two months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's like, and to be fair to Vince, he had a plan, that's what he wanted to do, and he didn't see Rick in that vision, and they were professional enough to kind of do that. Um, and Vince, the, Rick didn't feel hard feelings about it, but how do you say, I can't make money with Rick Flair? <laughs> I just, I mean... I'm sorry, if we're talking about, like, female wrestlers in WWE who had the ability to make stars out of people who were, who had the skills and some of the tools to get there but weren't there yet, like, Sasha Banks is in the ruling class, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. there's a reason the four horsewomen was a thing we all heard ad nauseum on TV that was, like, browbeaten to death for, mm -hmm. like, five years. It wasn't the three horsewomen, it was four four of them and you let one of them go i just i still i still i still cannot believe they did that i can and i think the entire reason why and i think this is triple h's is triple h's hunter's biggest issue of the one vince mcmanism that the whole company is still recovering from is the fact that wwe see WWE as the draw. They don't see wrestlers as the draw yeah. anymore. And they've worked very hard to make it that way because then wrestlers don't demand more money. <laughs> and if they can keep saying that WWE is the draw and the company's the draw and that's the way it is, and that's fine. But I know people weren't watching WWE, or sorry, WWF, they were watching Bruno San Martino and they were watching Pedro Morales, and they were watching Hulk Hogan, and they were watching Randy Savage, and they were watching Ronnie Piper. Yeah. Those people made that company because they were the biggest stars in the industry at the time. You made those stars, but they had a set of talents that enabled them to be stars. Yeah. And the wrestlers that are currently around today, like Becky Lynch and like Mercedes Monet, are stars. And if they choose to go off and do other things because it pays them more money or it's because it's more enjoyable, it's less stressful, or for whatever reason, they can be bigger stars and they can transcend the industry. You just have to give them the opportunity to. But if you do that, then they don't ask for more money because they're, they're bigger stars. I mean, so, Sasha Banks, <laughs> Mercedes, Mercedes Barnado was in the mandalorian she mm -hmm. was in a star wars show she got cast <laughs> in a star wars show that she got nominated for an emmy for um because which i i mean you know uh, to some extent i question i can imagine there's some people in the production truck who were breathing fire because of that i just i mean she she got nominated for an emmy for a role in a star wars show that she got booked on because John Favreau saw her on Hot Ones, the YouTube show where people sit down with a host and eat a series of spicy chicken wings, <laughs> and thought she was unbelievably charismatic and offered her a part and basically wrote a character into the show just for her. Yeah. Like, Star Wars, is, is there a more valuable, more well-known intellectual property than Star Wars? She was in Star Wars. Like, <laughs> like what? Are, WWE encouraged Becky Lynch to think enough about a Hollywood career that I believe she has a place in Los Angeles. Yeah. And 
I'll just say it. I don't really see that taking off for her. I think she's an incredible wrestler and a great storyteller. I don't think she's a great actress. Yeah. Why, why are they trying to push that for her and giving her those opportunities and not giving those opportunities to other people who are better suited for them? And that's I'm going to get hate for saying that because there are lots of people who get very angry when you criticize Becky at all. I love Becky Lynch. I also know that the top spot that Becky Lynch is in still was something Mercedes was ready for about two or three years before Becky got there. And I'm not talking about got there on the level of like her skill as a wrestler. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about got there with the audience. Yeah. There were hell in a cell matches, women's matches where the crowd was saying, we want Sasha because she wasn't in them. Yeah. And by the way, she's in the first three or four women's Hell in a Cell matches. Like, she's in each one of those. She did one every year. So, anyway, yeah, I'm just, I'm incensed that WWE thought that there was somebody more valuable than her. That's bullshit. And I'm super happy for her that she knows her value. Yeah. And said, okay, I'm going to go live my dream and get booked in Japan and wrestle a bunch of the Joshi wrestlers in Japan and do whatever I want. Good for her. Bravo. And I would say the most recent example of that being successful is a guy who's lined up to main event WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Cody Rhodes left the company on his own terms, went did his own thing, sorted himself out, started his own wrestling company, revolutionized the industry, and then went back to WWE, and is main eventing the biggest show they run a year after he went back. I mean... <laughs> whether or not that's the spot that the fans want Cody in or that's the spot that Vince wanted Cody in because Cody negotiated that and Vince wanted to get Cody back but regardless it's true and Cody's career is incredibly singular like there will never be another person in wrestling who has a parallel career to Cody Rhodes it's not possible it's too unique and so finally we bring ourselves to the eternal story of Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi wrestling each other for the 367th time. Oh, well, as that was a Ricky Barney said, they've done 327 matches where they've been involved with each other over the last wow. 15 years, which is incredible. Either wrestling against each other or tagging with each other. Um, and it is. And, and I love these two guys. They're the absolute cornerstones of the industry wrestling industry would not look like the way it does without them. They have literally redefined what poor wrestler is all about. However, I don't really need to see wrestle again right now. Not today. Not this week. It was not necessary. It was unnecessary. There was nothing wrong with this match. It was great because it's Rush Tanahashi because it's Ricardo. They would find it really hard to have a bad wrestling match. Yeah. Um, it's just that it wasn't necessary. That was the issue. No, it was yeah. bad. It was great. Just like, why bother? Yeah. Is the issue here. But the actual match content was fantastic. But to give you an idea, and because we didn't talk about ratings, usually, you know, we don't really talk about ratings too much on this show because it's kind of wrestling's, you know, objective. It's the whole point. What you like isn't necessarily what I'm going to like. But um, Kyrie and Mercedes Monet's match got 8.51 from the cage match users off 282 votes. Kazuchika Okada versus Roshi Tanahashi got 7.86 on 173 votes, which tells you not many people cared, not as many people cared about this match as the other match 
but also that there's a general feeling it was a bit of a disappointment. Mm. And it's like, and that's really hard because you've got a legacy here. You know, this, this is the greatest rivalry in New Japan. This is Flair and Steamboat. This is, you know, um, one of those matches. It's it's Toyota Raja Kong. It's, it's the match. And it, the fact that it's come off as a bit disappointing without a ton of build-up, because it was only announced two weeks ago, it seems to do a disservice to both wrestlers without really getting anywhere. In my opinion. Not that the match was bad. The actual match was good. But again, it wasn't really necessary. What's your thoughts, Justin? I pretty much agree. Um, I question why they put the dudes last on this card. I understand the logic behind these are the two guys that are like the top stars in the company and they have this long history and so it's important to honor that. But I don't think, I agree, I don't think it was necessary. I think it put them at a disadvantage because the crowd was burnt out. And also, I mean, I I didn't even watch the entire thing live. And I love both of those guys, but it was like 1.30 in the morning and I wanted to go to bed, so I went to bed. <laughs> I had to go back and watch it later to find out what happened. And it was a it's a perfectly serviceable match. And those two, like you said, it would be hard for them to have a bad match. It just, it should have gone before Kyrie and Mercedes or not been on the card at all. That's the thing. I don't see the point of why it just rides around. I get that Akkad is going to have to rebuild his legacy and it's his first serious run as IWGP World's Heavyweight Champion there's a bunch of stuff he needs to do the wrestling Tanahashi is one of them and Tanahashi's trying to find this brave new world where he's not a mid-carder and trying, you know, he's got a bunch of stuff going on and it's like, just proving that he can't be the big one isn't really helping him much mm. at the moment you know, and it's like, I doubt we'll see Tanahashi challenge for the World's Heavyweight Championship again and I not necessarily want him to, because I think there's other people who need to be in that particular path. Um, or equally, having a car to beat him doesn't really do Tanahashi any good, and doesn't really do a car any good either. I so mean, I do fun. think there's something to be said for putting them both on this card, because having the Japanese wrestlers on the card and having, like, two of the big guys indicates that New Japan is taking the show seriously, and that therefore there might be some exciting stuff on it. Um, but And also it gives people who wanted to see them wrestle an opportunity to do it live. I mean, that's why I went to see New Japan when they did a show in the Boston area. Um, I went with a, a friend of mine a few years ago and we had a great time. Um, but, you know, we didn't go expecting to have the kind of matches that you see during the G1. Like we went because you want to see those wrestlers in person and it's awesome. But yeah, I mean, the crowd was burnt out, and you could tell. And yeah. I don't think this is going to necessarily damage Tanahashi, but I also think like that guy has only so many high fly flow to the outside left in him, you know? Yeah. Like and, he's going to get to a point he, where he can't do it anymore. <laughs> and this, it's the kind of thing he has to doesn't do in this particular environment, you know? And yeah. there's, also, there's, there's also the point he beat Kenta on the show two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And Kent is wrestling Fred Rosser for a title a week later. Yeah. You know, it's like, so why isn't he wrestling Fred Rosser for that championship? It's like, that makes no sense. 
It's like, oh no, he's been right. Kent Kenta's consolation prize is wrestling for the NG. That doesn't really give the NGPW strong championship much of a hope, does it? You know, right. It's, yeah, it's it's like just I realize sometimes you book yourself into a corner and you don't realize how you're going to get yourself out. But it just this just seems a bit sloppy by New Japan standards. Yeah. Just because it didn't so. have to happen, you could you could easily have had. Um, I don't know. You could have had, you could have done something interesting like tag. You could have put those guys in a tag match. Yeah, against each other. Or tagging with each other against, because um, they tag each other with each other all the time. You could have those two tagging up against. I'm trying to think. You could have that be handy against one of the New Japan Strong teams. You could have had. There you go. That's what you should have done. You should have had Tanahashi Nakada against Team Filthy. They're the top heels in New Japan Strong. Put your two biggest baby faces against them. Everybody has a good time main event episode is Mummy Carry. And, yeah. and it would have required an awful lot less convolution of the booking to get them into this particular position for no apparent reason whatsoever. Yep. And some of the best matches you see are the insane ones that you don't think are gonna happen. You know, like the best tag one of the best tag matches I've seen this year was Aaron Hannah Ray and Jeff Cobb against Kazuchika Ricardo and Kenny Stash. One of the That's nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. Because it was just like, what can we do to pop a crowd with a, with a main... It was like, it was the King of Pro Wrestling Championship was not the last match. There was another match to go. And it was like, what's this going to be? It's Kazuchi Rikari, Kenny Omega, tagging together. Why not? <laughs> so yeah, so they did. And it's like, you could have done something like that. It would have just been fun. There you go. And it would have been a better use of Tom Lord. <laughs> Easily, go. you know. Um, you could stuck him and somebody else. Oh, John Kronos, that big lad, he's quite good. Stick him with uh, Kronos and um, and Tom Lawler, and that would have added on the job. And you could still have Okada bring the belt to the U.S. if he wanted to do like meet and greets with fans beforehand. I think yeah. sometimes New Japan is like we got to get the belt on the show, and it's like if you're worried about the international fans not seeing the belt, bring the belt. But that doesn't mean that the match on the show has to be for the belt. No. And, you know, it's... Tanahashi lost two teeth three weeks ago. Oh, I didn't even know that. Ouch. Yeah, he... <laughs> he fell over in the gym. He pulled he a Cesaro. Yeah, fell over fell over in the gym, cracked two teeth, and cracked his two front teeth. He wrestled Kenta yeah. without two front teeth. Ouch. Yeah, it's a bit weird. No, I, I mean, I love that dude, but he's nuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is he is a ray of human sunshine in person and the hair yeah. is beautifully feathered and the muscles are very muscly. But yeah. um, but he's nuts. Yeah. See that's another thing, you're not gonna get a Jay White Tanahashi muscle off anymore now. Those days are over. Mm. No more ab contests unless someone else comes up as good at abs as Jay White. And there aren't many people as good as abs as Jay White. Also, I'm just going to say, Jay White may need to consider at some point soon whether or not he really wants to keep those abs because dude is looking a little gaunt in the face. Yeah. Is it really worth the low fat, low hydration? Like, like, come on, bro. Even Hugh Jackman doesn't have the Wolverine abs all the time. You don't need the abs. You'll still be a good wrestler. Yeah, this is the thing. It's like I watched Jordan Grace on Instagram and... She looks amazing. She absolutely does. And I know it's something she's wanted to do. Well, it, 
does look like she does say how much she hates dieting <laughs> and how much she hates not having to be able to eat what she wants to eat. And I am like, is it really worth it then? In the sense yeah. of, I know you look amazing and that's the way you want to look, but equally I have to have the question in my head of like, are you sure that's okay then? Yeah. I understand, you know. I, I mean, I also just do. think I don't know. It's not, not going to be permanent. She's doing it for a reason for a, for a, like a, what she's doing. But, right, that's different. Yeah. Like training for a competition is different than I have to have abs every single time I'm on TV, and being on TV is my job. Hmm. That's yeah. all. I mean, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm misinterpreting what's going on there, but I just you know to me he looked very tired, and I thought, are you? Are you taking care of your health first and then worrying about whether or not you have the abs? I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. Yeah. I maybe I shouldn't be speculating about that. I, you know, and I just I don't think I think it's unhealthy that we've sort of created this and you know, a lot of this is Vince McMahon and not the fans, but I think it's unhealthy that there is an expectation that wrestlers have to have washboard abs. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, uh, I'll just say, like, a lot of men suspect and say on Twitter and other forms of social media that they think that they have to have um, the washboard abs to get the ladies. And I will just tell you, like, every single uh, woman or femme who I follow on wrestling Twitter is salivating whenever AEW gives us a close-up where we get to see Eddie Kingston's blue eyes. Yeah. You do um, not need to look like Wolverine to have no. to have that uh, that appeal. Jackie of uh, Jackie and Carissa, who I talked about earlier, waxes lyrical about how much she loves Tommy Arishi in a yeah. non-pulsing way, <laughs> um, constantly because that's her thing. And it's you it's, know? it's it's not washable abs. It's a bunch of other stuff that's intangible because that's the whole point. It's just intangible. Just he's charismatic. He seems yeah. like he's good with kids. We know he's a dad, you know. <laughs> like he's a dad, but he's also like the cool dad who can wrestle. He's got feathered hair. He plays air guitar. He's awesome. He's a Roshi Tanahashi. He doesn't he doesn't have to destroy his body and try to keep up with the younger guys. And also, the guys who really do have abs don't necessarily show it off. Do you have some of the best apps in Japan pro wrestling? Because I've seen the pictures from the bodybuilding competition they do at the end of the year. Dookie. Dookie has incredible apps. Wears a t-shirt all the time. Huh. <laughs> so there you go. Never would have thought that. Yeah, there you go. No, he's absolutely ripped. Um, I, again, oh. I will send you pictures. I'll send you a video of Jim Bridge wrestling, and I've got to send you pictures of Dookie's apps. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I rarely send you media, and then you're like, my messages seem to revolve in that pictures today. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anywho, that covers where we are. I think the conclusions we can draw, I'm gonna I'm not gonna speak for you because you can draw your own conclusions in a second, Chelsea. But the conclusions <laughs> I draw are Mercedes money is money for New Japan Pro Wrestling, absolutely and definitely. They yes. need to invest into some production values to make their shows in the US look like their shows in Japan. And they've got a solid roster that produces very good wrestling matches, but they need to actually tell some stories that make sense. Yes. Yeah, they've got all the tools. They need to implement them correctly. Yes. Have you any other conclusions to draw at this particular point? 
just that this is a unusually bright spot in the current state of women's wrestling. Um, I feel like the WWE product, the women are not being booked in a way that I'm fully on board with. There's a lot of decisions that were made there to highlight some people and not others where I'm just kind of a little bummed out about it. AEW doesn't really have their their stuff together with their women's division still. They clearly don't take it seriously. So the thought that maybe a few times a year New Japan will have either a really big pay-per-view that I can watch that's on their network or a really big event that they have in the U.S. that's streamed somewhere else that I can watch that has really, really good women's wrestling on it is exciting. I think that's awesome. I hope they keep bringing in people who are ringers to participate in it. That would be very exciting. I will also say that if you don't think this is having an influence on the Japanese wrestling industry, NOAA had their first women's match month and they had women's matches on the Muta retirement show. Now that been, might have been Keiji Muto saying hey I want some Joshies on my retirement show and he was kind of in charge of booking the last show where they were on as well but that's a massive step forward because Noah had never had any shows. So who did they use? Um, I've got to look it up now. Um, Do they have a promotion they have a cooperation with? Well they're part of Cyberfight which owns um, TJPW. Oh, right. um, yeah. Uh, let me look up the Noah Cage match, but on that show, it was the one with Sting and Darby Allen versus um, Muta and his mate, whose name mm. I can't remember. Um, that's the solution to the un to, to getting untapped audiences to watch your product is let the women do stuff, yeah, let the women do really good stuff, they'll do it and it'll be great. And just make peace now with the fact that they're going to outclass the men at least half the time. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Is like, stop worrying about stuff. Um, it's just let women do their thing and stop worrying about stuff. That was the previous one. Yeah. Star Navigation, was that it? Hang on. The, the, no, that, that was not that one either. Oh, yeah. Great Mooter Final Bye Bye. That's the one. Great Mooter's last match. They had... Do, 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 do. Jungle Kiona and Ciara Anu against Maya Yukihia and Natsumi Sumori. Ooh. Yeah, that was. I gotta uh, find that and watch it. That sounds excellent. It's on the. It's on the. Thingy. The Wrestle Universe. That's the phrase I was looking for. Um And on the show from Wednesday, which I haven't watched yet, so I'm just looking at the events page and trying to find it now. They had. Mio Yamashita, Riki Tatsumi, Suki, Nakajima, and Yuki Shakizaki going up against Makiito, Mio Watanabe, Mizuki, and Yuki Arai. I love Yuka Sakazaki. I know a lot of uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro fans are like burned out on her. I am not, and that's probably mm. because I only watch their products selectively. I just I just think she is the bee's knees. She is so good. Yeah, no, I agree. They're they're awesome. Like TJPW just in general is awesome. Yeah. They have they have better production values than New Japan do. I know it's because yeah. they've got cyberfight money, but New Japan's booked by a massive massive corporation. I thought they'd have figured out how to get money out. <laughs> you would think. You would think, but yeah, they seem to just get the production pop for Wrestle Kingdom, and the rest of the year they get a nice projector. Um, there you go, and the odd hater can big championship matches. Anywho, um. Well, that brings us to the end of this particular show. After the break, we will be joined by Anna. But where can we find you on the internet, Vaughn? 
Uh, so my handle on uh, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok is Panels and Pros. Thank you very much to Chelsea there, and we should be back after this short break. Welcome back to part two of the show. We are now going to transverse ourselves to the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan, in front of 30,000 very loud fans. Um, This past, I believe it was Wednesday... 21st was in fact Tuesday. Uh, the 20 this last Wednesday, when Pro Wrestling Noah presented Noah Kiyajimuto Grand Final Pro Wrestling Last Wolf Holdout. To join me to discuss this is Anna. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Well. When I said, would you like to do this show, you said, I don't watch Noah, so this will be interesting. Did you find it interesting? I did, yeah. I mean, I I have trouble, like, focusing if I'm, like, really out of something. So I was definitely tapped in the whole time, especially some of these matches. Like, of course, the TJPW showcase. Like, like I love all of those girls and, like, Chris Ridgway and, like, the DDT guys, like, there was a lot of people that I knew on this show that I am a fan of already. So, especially, like, uh, Hiromu, and I'm, I'm a big L.I.J. girl, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't completely in at the deep end, that's a good thing. <laughs> All right, then. This mm-hmm. is, this exactly. There's probably some things that will take explaining, but we can do that. That's why we're here. This is what we do. We explain things an awful lot on the Troopany Show. So the show, like we said, was pro wrestling. It was five hours long, so set aside some time if you want to go watch it. It opened with the incredible honoured crown tag team champions, Dakai Inaba and Master Kitamiya, defeating Yatsuki Yano and Yoshiki Inamore in seven minutes and 21 seconds. Um, Yatsumaki, Yatsuaki Yano... He's wonderful. He's a brilliant, brilliant young man who's a rookie, but he does get beat up a lot. And unfortunately, his job here was to get beat up a lot. It was perfectly fine, just kind of your opening no affair. The tag team champions give in two lads a kick in. Well, not anymore. You can't really give anymore a kick in. He's too big. But it was just kind of get things going. What did you think of this, Anna? Yeah, like, it looked like to me that it was, like, one of those young boy legend teams that usually kind of starts off a show, so I kind of knew what was going on there. Um, I thought he looked absolutely adorable in his little blue trunks. Um, <laughs> what else? Here. Yeah, yeah, so, like, it started with some, like, breast holds and stuff, which, you know, I'm all about the technical wrestling and all that stuff, and and uh, a poor young boy is tagged in to take on the big man. And uh, I love that kind of dynamic, like, young rookie, big honking, like, legend and or champion kind of just absolutely obliterating this poor kid. Yeah, and Yano's done an awful lot better when he's been tag-teaming with Stinger, because Stinger kind of adopted him. Um, and he got he got us a lot of showing him when he started tags up with Stinger. Uh, but he's a junior heavyweight. He's a small junior heavyweight. <laughs> so yeah. him against Dinah <laughs> was a bit mean, really. Really was. It's unfair. <laughs> it kind of got its yeah, there, tone. At one point, 
No, I was going to say at one point there was a knee crusher to the poor boy, and I just felt so bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't nice. Let's just move on to the second match, which was much more even-handed. This was a Tokyo Joshi Pro Showcase. Miyu Yamashita, your current EVE Pro Wrestling Champion, Riki Tatsumi, uh, Shoku Nakajima and Yuki Sakazawa going, Sakazaki sorry, going up against Maki Ito, Miyu Watanabe, Mizuki and Yuki Arai. 11 minutes and 38 seconds of all the baby faces really just showing off what they can do. Because it's a showcase match and that's the kind of thing that you do when you're showcasing your company. You go like hell for 10 minutes. <laughs> and, um, oh yeah, you know, this, yeah, this could have been a mess, but it was not. It was very entertaining. Everybody got their stuff in. Everything worked. Even Makito got the crowd interaction stuff in that she normally tries to get into matches, and they didn't have long to do it, but they actually managed to get eight people over. Everyone got their spots in. It was great. Mm-hmm. And I am just so happy for, like, Makito. I'm happy for everybody, but, like, Makito is, like, one of my favorite wrestlers, and she has been wrestling up in Canada now, so I'm just like, ah, that's that's our girl. <laughs> <laughs> Miyu Yamashita, of course, is currently the champion of Pro Wrestling Eve, the London-based promotion, so we like her a lot here. Um, she's doing mm. a lot of time over here. Um, and a lot of the Eve girls have gone over to TJPW. Um, Millie McKenzie had a run at Yamashita not long ago. Um, yeah, it's... It, they're kind of we were discussing this yesterday with Chelsea about the we recorded Chelsea by the magic of podcasting we recorded Chelsea's portion of the show yesterday um, we were talking about like the uh, the fact that TJPW has grown so much in the last year and this is another kind of sign of that this is the only second match um, where a women's um, match has been on a men's show at the Tokyo Dome ever and the other one was in January <laughs> so you know this yeah is, for real this is only the second women's match in pro wrestling Noah history ever so you know it's it's kind of showing where the company's growing I know obviously they've got the cyber fight connection and it's the same company really but this is important you know there was a time when Noah fans would not have accepted this and now they do which is really cool oh yeah for sure and like uh, and I, I thought everybody looked so strong and looked so good the looks were top notch I will say and uh, I don't know who at Cyberfight spent the money on the NFL 4K camera but I was enjoying it a lot I have <laughs> I was loving the entrances on this show <laughs> well they've had that for about 18 months now uh, I call it the Noah Instagram camera <laughs> <laughs> Because they do these like <laughs> wonderful, like the end of championship matches, and they do these soft focus zoom ins on the winning, on the losing wrestler, and it's like, oh, my heart, too, my heart. They do spend a lot of money in production. Um, like the um, the camera on the ring post that's just there for one of the guys from um, who is it? One of the guys from uh, uh, uh from. Completely forgotten out of my head. I'm trying to remember it's from Congo. Yeah, like, um, uh, Tedeschi from Kenna from uh, Congo. He he has a camera to himself. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and TJPW on their big shows have massive production and and DDT as well. We was actually complaining about the fact that the New Japan USA shows 
are a bit flat when it comes to production compared to what they do in Japan, um, and even compared to what Noah do, really. You know, and Noah's not known for its like massive visuals, but they were really on point here. You know, they did they took over the full staging area. I was actually thinking like Wrestle Kingdom seventeen, how many people were there? There's thirty thousand. Obviously it's Muto's Living Legends retirement match. But they were only a thousand people short of what New Japan did in January. That's really good. That is really, really good. <laughs> that is really yeah. good. Yeah, obviously they needed a New Japan guy to get them there. <laughs> or a couple of three New Japan guys <laughs> don't get them there. But yeah, that's really good. <laughs> right, shall we move on to the next match? Absolutely. Uh, next up was the good-looking guys faction of Anthony Green, Jack Morris, and Jake Lee. They defeated Segura Gun, Takashi Segura, Timothy Thatcher, and honorary Segura Gun member Satoshi Kojima in 7 minutes and 14 seconds in a match I can't remember, which will tell you how good it actually was. It wasn't. Oh, I, <laughs> I had fun because I'm a big AG girl beyond wrestling forever. The northeast of uh, North America, uh, there's the Beyond Wrestling promotion for people to wear. And there, there is a few people on this show that I was just like, yeah, look at you go from the White Eagle to the Tokyo Dome. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I love all of the guys in this match. I really do. But I have no idea what they were doing here. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I definitely wrote uh, I one of my notes that I wrote here was that was definitely a match. <laughs> it, it it happened. Not a lot and happened. <laughs> yeah, Timothy actually got his head kicked in by um Jake Lee. And it's like well, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's I'm, I'm, uh, So yeah, it's all a bit weird. I'm not quite sure where good looking guys are gonna go. If I'm honest, because it's like mm. Jake Lee is, I don't understand, I don't get it, because Jake Lee's like really popular but never gets any reaction. Like everyone talks about him on the internet, he gets a lot of great feedback. I go to matches and everyone goes, oh, when he makes an appearance and then nothing happens. So I'm not quite sure what's going on with Jake Lee. If someone could explain it to me, I'd love to find out. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> Yeah, so, and, and you know, this faction, Good Looking Guys, was born about two months ago when Anthony Green got off the plane for the start of this particular tour and Jake Lee and Jack Morris met him at the airport with a T-shirt. Oh, cute. <laughs> and said, be in our faction, please, because you're a good-looking guy. <laughs> well, he is a good-looking guy, yes, so they how to pick him. <laughs> <laughs> um, to get, nice to see Takeshi Segura and Satoshi Kojima still tagging together, despite the fact they've lost the tag team belts, which is not usually the way things go when it comes to Takeshi Segura's <laughs> tag team partners who tend to get dropped off a bit. But yes, anyway, shall we move on? Yeah, for sure. Next up was a bit of a mess, again, really, to be honest, even a bigger mess than the previous match. Alejandro Atsushi Katajay, Yomtu Makiawa, Yasiki Yoshiaki, and Yohei lost to the odd pairing of Chris Ridgway, Dagger, Aita, Hayata, and Yoshinari Gogawa. 
Now, would you like me to explain what's gone on? Because obviously, anyone who's watched that match and hasn't been following what's been going on in the Noah Junior division would be clueless as to the mess it was and what happened at the end. Yeah, because one, there was too many guys. Way too many guys. I can't keep track. And two, there was a face-off at the beginning that I didn't really understand that I was going to ask about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Let's start at the beginning. Alejandro, Atsushi Katage, Yunti Mikiawa, Siki Yoshiaki, and Yohei are Noah regular army. With me so far. Yes. Yohei used to be in a uh, faction called Rattles with Hayata, and Hayata was his tag team partner. They were great friends for years and years and years. When Rattles was forced to break up, Hayata and Yohei went their separate ways, had feuds, etc. On that page. Okay. Okay, we're going there. Okay. Hayata, Chris Ridgway, and Yoshinari Ogawa were in a faction called Stinger, which Ogawa has led for years and years. They're considered the best of the best in junior heavyweight wrestling. With me so far. Yeah. <laughs> Stinger were having a feud with Los Peros de Mal de Japon, which featured Ayata, Daga, and Hayata, sorry, Ayata, Daga, um, and, and Daga, as well as Super Crazy and Nosawa. Um, Stinger eventually made Los Peres de Melda Hapon break up, and then Agawa saw something in Daga and Ata and started to tag team with them. Ata, who's also a Dragon Gate regular, is tagging with Ogawa and is junior, GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion. However, Hayata and Ridgeway, who are still in Stinger with Ogawa, are not happy because he's not tagging with them. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the match, Daga, Aita, and Ogawa attacked Hayata and Ridgeway, who were still in a faction with Ogawa. I don't think Ogawa has left Stinger. I just think it's on hiatus while this works it all self all out. By the way, this is about the most normal thing that's happened in the Noah Junior Heavyweight Division for the last four years. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But again, if you don't know what's going on and you're new to the product, it makes no sense whatsoever. Hmm. Well, that being said, I'm pretty sure the match ended with some actual murder from Chris Ridgway. So... <laughs> yes. Um, double... Uh, yeah. Ridgway's ace. He's really great. Obviously, British mm-hmm. scouser, Lancastrian wrestler, if you will, has a touch of the Wigan about him, shall we say, um, and liable to tear your arms off and can kick you really hard. He's a bit like Kasuryu Shibata in smaller form and about as mean and nasty as Zack Sabre Jr. on a bad day. Um, for those who have not seen him before, but Chris Ridgway is awesome. And um, everyone should go watch his matches. Hayata, really good as well. Um, had the unfortunate problem. He was GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion, and I really enjoyed his reign. Um, and then got horribly injured in a match with Ninja Mac and lost the title to him. Like, genuinely injured. They had to count him out. So Ninja Mac became GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion that way, which was unfortunate. It was a genuine injury, but he's back now, and he's all good, so it's cool. Um, but yeah, it, the match was nothing, but it was all story. There was, there was that was the reason why it was there. <laughs> so, <Fair. laughs> shall we move on to the next one? 
Yes, the DDT showcase. Indeed, the 37 Kamina, Mao Shinma, Katsumata, Toji, Toi Kojima, and Yuki Ueno defeated burning Tetsuya Endo, Yuu Kokura, as along with Hideki Okutani and Takeshi Masada in 9 minutes and 6 seconds. This was a fun old match. It went back and forth. There wasn't a lot to it. It's kind of a bunch of babyface kids against a bunch of babyface kids. There's nothing wrong with this. It was fine. I enjoyed it, but it didn't really do an awful lot. But that's kind of the point, I think. I think if you were like of the rival of the cyber fight companies trying to make themselves name for themselves at the Tokyo Dome, I think TJPW came off better. But this was not offensive in any way. It was pretty cool. What did you think of this one? Anna? Well, first of all, 37 Kamina is my favorite boy band now, officially. <laughs> um, Shunma really stuck out to me. I've seen Shunma before in like some of the kind of DDT, almost hardcore style matches with like the 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 Tupperware bins and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I love a Hiromu type, like a, a fast, like edgy crazy kind of junior heavyweight kind of guy uh so he really uh stuck out to me there was an aerial assault press at one point that i thought was really cool um an old guy flip which you know i was whooping over here <laughs> <laughs> and nothing more i love nothing more than a big boy uh a moonsault than a, a old man moonsault or a mo old man flip so <laughs> Oh, it was cool. It was it was really good. It was it, like I said, it wasn't like it wasn't anything it w couldn't be. If you see what I mean, it was not. It, it was the idea was to showcase both factions, and that's what happened, and that was good. It did what it said on the tin. Shall we move back? We'll move on. Yes. Next up was mm -hmm. El Hijo del <laughs> my favorite named wrestler, El Hijo del Doctor Wagner Junior, the son of Doctor Wagner Junior. Uh, Tagum, well, of uh, Segura Gun Tagumin Naichi Marafuji of the Regular Army and Ninja Mac, also of Regular Army, against the Zebrats, Dimonte, Kai, and Shun Skywalker of Dragon Gate. 11 minutes and 20 seconds of an interesting little tag team match that was promotion versus promotion. This was really good. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was cool. What did you think of this one, eh? Well, Kai, I thought was hilarious. Great use of the Ultra HD camera telling uh, everyone in the Tokyo don't suck it, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, and I, I made a note here that I was, I was like, it was so weird seeing all of these indie guys that I've watched tons of matches for for years in such a huge venue. Ninja Mac is another one of those. Because he's a GCW guy. Mm. So I have seen him in like the dirtiest venues like ever and now he's doing his flippy shit in the tokyo dome i'm that's that rules but uh i loved that his classic like ninja mac nonsense where he does just the flip over and over and over again uh just got absolutely annihilated by shun skywalker when he went into the ropes and he just said like no enough <laughs> of that too much <laughs> so i love it when like lucha guys are just like all right too much lucha. We've <laughs> <laughs> reached peak lucha. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, and that's what this was about. It was. It was a bit of like, um, uh, yeah. I think there was there was a bit of like mutual respect between Doctor Wagner Junior and, and Kai and. 
things moved along nicely, and then it kind of just broke down into a bit of a fight. And it was cool. It was kind of what you expect an interpromotion match to be. A bit messy, but a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And now we get to the serious business, and it doesn't get much more serious business than this. Do you understand the, the background of the Nakajima Miyahara thing going on in this particular match? No. Okay, so let's explain the match. It was Kongo, Katsuki Nakajima, Keno, and Manubi Soya, and they defeated Zenichi Shinjirai, Kento Miyahara, Yumo Aoyagi, and Suwama of All Japan Pro Wrestling. It was basically Noah versus All Japan. Now, Kento Miyahara has been the ace of All Japan Pro Wrestling for the last seven or eight years. He's really cool. We like him a lot on the Troopany Show. Uh, recently lost the Triple Crown to Yuji Nagata, which is a bit of a surprise, but there we go. Now, Kenta Miyahara was trained by Katsuyuki Nakajima, uh, but Miyahara has always maintained that Nakajima was overly stiff in his training and would never wrestle him again, um, or ever wrestle, be in the same ring with him because he didn't think he was safe, which is the reason why when these two started, the whole crowd went, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this was, this was kind of like absolutely in dream match territory. Um, and to be honest, you've got three of the best workers in Old Japan up against three of the best workers in New Japan. You really, sorry, in Noah, you really couldn't go wrong. Technologically, technically, this match was going to be great. And it was. It was a brilliant story, really well told. I love Congo. I love Keno because Keno is a miserable bastard. That's his entire job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he hates well, everything. Well, he looks cooler than cool. <laughs> he does. I mean, he does look really cool, but he he is just misery incarnate, and that's that's really all Congo are is just like awful people, just just being awful. And you know, and Zenichi Shinjidai is kind of like happy go lucky, and they brought Sawama along for some backup. And my favorite bit of this was just when. Um, I think it was uh, Keno started started slapping Suwama and he just like, went straight after him and grabbed him by the neck and shook him in the corner. I was like, that's brilliant. That was great. But yeah, this was, <laughs> this was a brilliant, brilliant match. 15 minutes and 37 seconds. Congo win, but the All Japan guys didn't lose anything in the process. I thought this was really cool. What's your thoughts on this? And does it now you know the background, does it change your aspect of what the, the match was about? Really, I thought it was a good match because, like, I love my big boys. So, Team All Japan, it was big boy season over there. Um, love a good forearm battle. Like, a forearm battle to me is, like, definitely, like, a show of respect to, to me. So, like, I could kind of get that conveyed through that. Um yeah, Nakajima was really sticking out to me in this match. He was a lot of fun, a um, lot of fast-paced uh, stuff, and that would just end with somebody getting absolutely annihilated by a kick to the chest, and that is pro wrestling to me. Oh, yeah. This is like proper King's Road style wrestling. <laughs> this is just like take, take yeah. 17, <laughs> take 1. Yes, this was great from that particular point of view. Um, somewhere Giant Baba was smiling. <laughs> um, they got it <laughs> they understood this was the assignment hit each other really hard um, but yeah this was great <laughs> And you, it, um, not the best match on the show but definitely one of the best matches on the show um, and you should go seek it out have you anything else to say about that particular match 
No, but Suwama was cool as hell just smacking the crap out of people, so... <laughs> That's pretty much what he does. Uh, if, you, if you want the ultimate smacking the crap out of people, um, Suwama versus Minoru Suzuki for the Triple Crown, I think back in the uh, late 2000s. That's some good slapping the crap out of people. <laughs> that sounds like it. Wow. Yeah, that was that was before Minoru went back to New Japan. Um, basically, when he left MMA, he had a run in Noah, and then he had a run in All Japan, or he had a run in All Japan, and then he had a run in Noah. One of the other way. I think it was All Japan first. Then he went to Noah. Then he went to New Japan. Then he went back to Noah when they got exiled from New Japan. <laughs> um, and now he's a white meat baby face granddad that everybody loves. But there you go. Um, because you wouldn't dare boo him. Um, next we'll move on, shall we? So, Ghetto and Taiji Ishimori defeated Mizada and Nasawa Rongai in what is reportedly Nasawa Rongai's last match. Because, you know... Okay, I was wondering that. Nasawa Rongai, um, is... has been known to steal other people's thunder. That's kind of what he does. If you listen to the British commentary, the English language commentary, Stu and Mark do go on about the fact that, oh, it's him again. <laughs> when Paris de Malda Hapon <laughs> broke up, he had to go rejoin Seguri Gun and none of them wanted him back. Um, which is the, the in joke because he's the booker of the entire company. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Ghetto and Taiji Ishimori, who of course are, well, Ghetto used to work for All Japan and was a booker for All Japan. Um, and Jada was booker for Noah for quite some time. They obviously know Nasai Rongwai quite closely. Taiji Shimuri, of course, a former Noah wrestler. Mazada um, obviously has a, a strong connection with Rongai. Uh, they were all very concerned at the end of the match, and I thought they were trying a bit too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Which may be telling you what's going, to go, what's going to go on there. But yeah, this was this it was just fun. It was trying to tell the story of what, what was going on. It didn't last, it didn't outstay its welcome, you know. Um, it's a fun little story because wrong guy's a pain and just that's that's what they're trying to tell. What did you think of this one? Uh, yeah, since I didn't really know what was going on, I was just like, <laughs> then I kind of clued in that this might be a retirement match for this guy. Yeah. Um, my first impressions were ICP neck tat, which ruled. <laughs> but... Uh, I love that Gato shows up to work smarter, not harder. Like he says, no, t-shirt with the neck cut off. That's it. And uh, I I had a note in here that was like, Taiji Ishimori has a real big advantage being the only guy that's under 40. And then I realized that he is 40. <laughs> so I was like, I know. <laughs> He's a lot older than I thought he was. Yes, <laughs> I thought he had an unfair advantage here. <laughs> he's, he's no longer the hot young star. Yeah, he's great. I love the guy. He is really, really cool. But yeah, he's at a certain age in his career. He is like the ultimate Swiss Army knife of pro wrestling. He can do anything you want him to do. I've seen him wrestling opening matches on the UK tour. I've seen him main event matches with Junior Heavyweight Championship. He just you just stick him on a card and he'll do anything. Um, and Ghetto is you're right, absolutely. Ghetto does not work hard at all. But thirty years in the business, he doesn't have to. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's pouring off people through flaming tables in his career to be able to do what he wants to do. And you know he's the most powerful manager in Pereirasu, so <laughs> it's, it's, he knows what he's doing. I think really. 
Okay, shall we move on to the last four matches and indeed the serious end of the business? Um, The Junior Heavyweight Challenge match. Hiromu Takahashi, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, defeated Amakasa... I can never pronounce this properly. Amakusa, 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 that's it. I have to have John do it normally because he knows how to pronounce it properly. 11 minutes and two seconds in a breathtaking match. I really enjoyed this. I was on the edge of my seat for this match because I didn't know what it looked like. If it was any of the other junior heavyweights in Noah, I knew what was going to happen, but I didn't know what was going to happen with these two because they're both death-defying wrestlers and they go full bore constantly and they don't really have an off switch. So I thought this was this had potential to be the best match of the night. And I thought it was one of the best matches of the night. I think the cage match guys are kind of underrated it myself. Um, Diamond Dave from The Observer, you give it four and a quarter stars, but we don't normally listen to him because, you know, it's Uncle Dave. Um, but I think this was really, really good. I thought it was a really cool story. I, I kind of knew the New Japan guys were going to win out because of the way the matches have been set up. And it's always the younger guys up against the experienced stars from this particular year, and if you'd done it in a different year with different champions, it would have looked a bit different. Or I kind of thought Hiromu was going to win this, but I didn't think he would spend 11 minutes on the back foot and just really won it with time on two. He didn't really really get any other moves in. He kind of just bumped for it all night, and I thought that was really cool, because he gave one away an awful lot, but he didn't have to, because he's frigging Hiromu Takahashi. He can be the star he needs to be, but he still looked like a star, took the win, but gave his opponent so much in this match, and I thought it was really, really cool. What did you think of this, Anna? Yeah, well, Hiromu is my favorite in, like, all of Japan. Like, he's definitely my favorite Japanese wrestler, um, because I don't normally go for, like, junior heavyweights, and he's kind of more like a medium weight. So I like that. And uh, he does one of my favorite moves, which is the sliding suplex to the outside. Um, that it, it always gets me every time. But yeah, this was just like firing cylinder after cylinder, just like going absolutely nuts. There was, was like top rope European uppercuts, corneos to the outside. Um, I don't think that there was any guardrail work in this one. There might have been. Um but yeah, no, they were just going absolutely buck wild the entire, like it was only like 10 minutes or whatever, but it felt longer than that, like in a good way, because it just like was such a good match to me. So. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think this was. But yeah. I think this could have made event in a big show by itself, you know, and it kind of, they wanted another 15 minutes. <laughs> I could have watched these two go all night and it would have been. <laughs> It would have been great, but I understand what they were trying to do because they've got loads of stuff to fit in. <laughs> and this show was too long, so long it had three intervals, I think, didn't it? Was it two intervals or at least at least more than one? Um, and they were long. Yeah, they had two. They had two major intervals in it. Um, and obviously we've got a lot to talk about with the main event, uh, but the semi-main event, whoa. Zuchi Ricardo defeats Keita Kiyomiya in 16 minutes and 32 seconds of the best wrestling match you will see this year as an all-round wrestling match. It was a heavy story to tell. 
it was performed by two guys who know exactly what to do to get the absolute best out of the emotion of it and it leaves stuff on the table to come back and do it again. That's the key thing. Kiyomiya did take a bit of a kicking yeah. in this match. But it's another stage in the story. If you yeah. the story starts back in lockdown when Kiyomiya appeared on the front page, I think it was of uh, baseball, with a picture of Kazuchika Ricardo saying, This is my dream match. And then last year he tagged with Muto against Tanahashi Nakada, and he was the one that got pinned. And he got his ass handed to him in that match. And it was kind of the story that set the stage for the GHC title run that he's currently on. He pieced himself back together in the most after the most disappointing way of like getting beaten down in Yokohama. He didn't just get beat. Okada stood over him and told him, it's not the way you fall down, it's the way you get up. And Kiyomiya took that to heart and got up and got himself to the GHC Championship. Then you go to Yokohama this year and Kiyomiya's tagging with Unaba against... Um, is it Unaba? Was it? No. Yeah, it was Unaba, wasn't it? He's tagging with Unaba against Okada and Honma and attacks Okada in the match and the match breaks down. No, it was Makabe that was it. The match breaks down and Makabe has to protect Okada. Uh, Kiyomiya is, you know, Inaba has to protect Kiyomiya. All this stuff going on in the match. And then last the week before this, Okada sneak attack Kiyomiya at a Noah show. And it's like, it's the kind of thing that used to happen in the early 2000s and the late 90s, and we haven't seen it in 20 years, and that's what makes it amazing. But it also is so well told because Kiyomiya isn't at Okada's level. And that's the story they're telling, which mm. under normal circumstances you would go, well, that sure would be the horrible thing. But it means that there's room for Kiyomiya to get to Okada's level, and clearly they want Kiyomiya to get to Okada's level, and Okada wants Kiyomiya to get there, because then they can have an even bigger match next year. And that's really cool. Because they have no one's done this for such a long time. And I'm just so glad that someone knows how to make money. Because <laughs> this is this has got money written all over it. If you want to do Tokyo if Wrestle Kingdom next year, Kiyomiya versus Akara, that would be incredible as a main event. Because Kiyomiya is licking his wounds right now and figuring out how can I beat this guy. And just the spots in this match, just the intensity in this match. Uh, I can't remember who said it on Twitter this week, but, you know, Akada being a dick is the best Akada. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's so many little details that kind of signal to that. Like, Okada wearing just black gear, black knee pads, black shoes. Total disrespect. He says, like, I don't even care about this match. I'm just going to wear my black gear. No shiny, like, reflective, cool neon stuff today. No siree. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, and also, I mean, the black gear is a tribute to Antonio Inoki. But also, look at the way he beat Kiyomiya. Oh. Yeah, he beat Kiyomiya using the Inziguri. Inziguri, Emerald Flosion, um... Inziguri Emerald Flosion into Rainmaker. He didn't have to do that. And he lifted Kiyomiya up to get to that. He did that because he wanted New Japan to beat the Global Honor Crown Champion. Mm -hmm. And the legacy of Strong Style to defeat the legacy of King's Road. 
and there's there's, there's, there's layers of stuff going on with that. Um, and it's just like Akad is the best male wrestler I may have ever seen, and I don't think sometimes we don't realize how good he can he is because he's on like me and Chelsea were talking about with Tana's great because it's it's Carter and Tana Ashi and they're always going to have good matches but it wasn't this good literally five days later he has the match of the year and it's like how does he pull that out of the match he's like just flown back from San Jose to get to Tokyo two days later one night's rest go blow the doors off in 16 minutes with Kimia why not why, why not just why not <laughs> Well, yeah, there's like a lot of hard hitting stuff, and that's cool about the Antonio Noki thing. Um, I didn't even realize that. Um, yeah, there was at one point, uh, Okada, what I wrote here, I was like, Okada is putting some stank on these full contact hits, like, he is not disrespecting, but like it feels disrespectful but it's just like no kid like you're gonna take this because i see like the potential in you so i'm gonna hit you as hard as i absolutely bloody can (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah and then lifters from kimi those um european uppercuts i have not seen a card of shape like that the only guy who gets close to hitting a card of that hard is minoru suzuki you know like, mm-hmm. the, the hardest I've seen Akada get hit was Minoru Suzuki at the Copper Box in London. You watch that match with him and Suzuki, and they're just trading blows. And Suzuki calls for the crowd to go quiet, and you just hear this crack, and it's like a shotgun going off, and it's just his full of and Okada's jawbone. Kiyomi is the only guy who's come close to that level of volume on strikes with, with Akada. Um in fact, to be honest, there was a little bit a bit too rough <laughs> in the build-up yeah. to this match. Um, Simon Gotch posted online actually a picture of a gif of when Kiyomiya went for the drop kick on Okada outside the ring at Yokozuna. That's not Yokozuna, Yok- Yokohama. Um, he actually drop kicked Okada's head into Makabe's head. Yeah, um, which was Concussion City. They're both thankfully okay. And so I was like, I said, I, I saw Simon Gotch. I hadn't seen the angle before. I said, yeah, that's the reason why we're supposed to visualize where we hit people so you don't hit other things too. Um, but yeah, so I think they're both very excited. But this was brilliant, just utterly brilliant. And I can't wait for the next one. I really can't. This is much as like as much as like earlier in the podcast I was saying I hope Tanahashi doesn't wrestle Okada again <laughs> for a long, long time. <laughs> nah, this one, I hope this one they could do again tomorrow, and I'd be so happy. But they won't, because they're sensible enough to say Yokohama next year, or maybe the Tokyo Dome next March, or something along those lines. Whatever it is, it's going to be breathtaking because Kiyomi is going to come back like gangbusters. I can't wait to see that match. Have you anything else to say about this particular match? No, um, I think you covered a lot of it, and I got my points in, so let's move on. Let's move on, indeed, to the final match of Kiyeji Muso, arguably the greatest professional wrestler of the last 30 years, um, certainly in Japan, one of the biggest draws of all time. A man I have been watching wrestling for 34 years. I first saw Kiyeji Muto in 1989, wrestling as the great Muta, 
uh, in Gary Hart's JTEX Corporation, WCW. I have watched him go to the Tokyo Dome so many times in my fandom of him. Um, the match with Hulk Hogan, uh, the IWGP and NWA World Heavyweight Champion against the WWF World Heavyweight Champion, arguably the biggest match of all time that everyone in North America forgets about. <laughs> um, you know, I've seen him, uh, the match with Nobuyuki Takada over the UWFI World Championship and the IWGP World Championship. All of these great moments in the Tokyo Dome. And he comes back to the Tokyo Dome for his final match against Tetsuya Naito. Um, and Muto's reasoning was because he's the most popular wrestler in Japan and I get the biggest crowd because Keiji Muto <laughs> is all about the money. Um, which he is, and that's the whole point. That's what's yeah. up. Um, and here he is, Nato, going up against his all-time wrestling hero, Muto. And on paper, this should be terrible. Muto injured himself in that tagging with Darby Allen and Sting and hasn't been in a wrestling ring since because he could barely walk after that match. Noticeably telling Darby Allen, hey, young boy, push this wheelchair for me. Um, and um, he's not really been able to do any physical prep for this match. Tetsuya Nato has two knees that are comically bad, and it was really a, a whose knees are going to explode first kind of match. And then they pull out this breathtaking match between a 40-year-old and a 60-year-old who are both very tired but they are supreme genius level professional wrestlers and that was you go back to the the last time they wrestled in the Tokyo Dome which I think was Wrestle Kingdom 8 and it was billed against the Stardust Genius versus the Wrestling Genius and they gave everything without really giving away an awful lot and you have to say, like on this podcast and on the podcast I've been on over the last year, we've been on a journey of saying goodbye to Kiyoji Muto. We did the show with Dara where we looked at all the matches that were available through his career on, on YouTube. We've looked at All Japan in the early 2000s when he was booking. We've looked at recent Noah shows. Um, we've looked at WCW tapings from the early 2000s. And every time, every time we've talked this year, it's come back to Kiyoji Muto. And even in his final match, he's the talk of the industry of 60 years old. And I don't mean to dismiss Nato's particular role in this match because it was incredibly important. And after all, he gets the win after 28 minutes and 58 seconds, as it should be important, with a Destino. And the fact that he got a Destino on, on a guy who could barely walk properly is just insane. But this match was essentially... Oh, yeah. This match was essentially... A bunch of leg locks and a bunch of heel hooks that went on for 28 minutes and had you on the edge of your seat as a roller coaster ride to see if the old man could just pull it out one more time. And he couldn't. But that's okay. Because Tessie Unato will carry that thing forward. Yeji Muto is finally retired. We all hope and believe for the sake of his need and for the sake of his health. Because, yeah, we close the show with a picture of Misawa Misawa and, um, Shinya Hashimoto, two of his friends who gave everything for professional wrestling. Um, so, you know, that was a good tribute to win the match with. But what did you think of this one, Anna? Yeah, so I first was very impressed that a, a six-year-old man could go for 28 minutes. Uh, uh, that was impressive all of itself. Um, 
And I liked his entrance where it was seeming that it was going through all of his like different entrances entrance musics in his different eras throughout yeah, his career like during his really big cool. entrance yeah. um is that what was going on yes it was it was his the the theme tunes he's had in the different phases of his career from being a young boy up until um his retirement music yeah yeah excellent and uh, i thought it was cute that he got spooked by his fireworks i thought that was funny <laughs> he's he's this badass old man and then he's just like oh dear <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it started off with lots of good chain wrestling, which, of course, I love. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. And, um, yeah, so uh, we, that was the smart choice in a match like this, especially where you have, like, an older guy like KJ Muto, and then you've got a guy with toothpick knees like Naito. <laughs> like, have them just kind of roll around on the floor and wrestle a little bit. And uh, there was a couple of points where uh, uh, Muto goes to kind of set up for the moonsault and I'm like, don't you do it. This is a bad decision. <laughs> and he'd, he'd start to go up and I'd be like, no, 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 no. And then he'd go, go back down. Oh, thank God. And then there was the second time where it looked like he was sincerely trying and then he said, no, wait, no. He had a moment of clarity where he's just like, probably not a good idea <laughs> yeah but yeah the, the work that they were doing on the um entrance ramp uh that was very emotional for me especially uh seeing poor mudo get absolutely torpedoed to the spine by a drop kick by naito but he just like he looked so defeated when, when he was on the ramp like he's just like why am i doing this like I'd like is this really worth it kind of kind of look on his face and then uh, they get back into the ring and he gets that kind of that next wave of just like no like I'm the great Muda I'm Keiji Muto like yeah I can take on this guy no problem and then it gets gassed up again like that was some of the storytelling that I really liked of it and then of course like with the kind of uh um, Naito when he's doing his taunt like his tranquilo taunt um, instead of throwing up the fist he throws up the wolf pack I thought that was nice <laughs> I thought that was a nice little yeah <laughs> it was it was it's just such a cool match to have as his last match Naito was absolutely the great the, the right person for the job he understood what he needed to do to make this match work um, I mean the obvious choice would have been Tanahashi in the other sense, but it, Tanahashi, you got to see Tanahashi's reaction, and he was in tears, absolute floods of tears, um, because Tanahashi was, he was Mita, he was Muto's young boy, he was he was his attendant, he looked after his bags, he was he learnt under him, all the way up until Muto left for All Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, um, we was watching. Um, what did we watch? It was a show last year. We watched Scott Hall. I watched Scott Hall versus um, Keiji Muto for the All Japan Triple Crown on a New Japan show. And there was Hiroshi Tanahashi in the corner of Muto carrying his, carrying his belts and carrying his towel. And Tanahashi has wrestled with and tagged with and wrestled against Muto for the last 20, 25 years. You know, he, he and he was in floods of tears. And he means that, Muto means that much. You know, to to the Japanese conscious, not necessarily, you know, he's a popular figure in the country, not just a popular figure in wrestling. And this, 
Tanahashi is one of those guys, and Nakada are one of those guys, and even Nato are one of those guys that have transcended since. But you probably won't see the likes of Muto or Hashimoto or Misawa or Chono or Kabashi again because they aren't ubiquitous like they used to be because and the same as everything else. And so you'll never get another Hulk Hogan or Steve Austin because there's more TV channels, there's more streaming options, there's more stuff. And it waters down what you can accept within the company. I don't think we'll ever see 60,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. But 30,000 people for Noah? That's incredible. That's just insane. Yeah. You know, that's the, the last time they haven't been to the Tokyo Dome since 2005. You know, and that's that will tell oh, you. Well. That will tell you. And they they were the biggest promotion on earth in two thousand and five. They were bigger than New Japan. Hiroshi Tanahashi was IWGP heavyweight champion and got booed out the building. <laughs> that's how big Noah was back then. You know, and and they're they're on the upswing, and Cyberfight has really got behind them, and and that's been really really cool. We have one last match to talk about because Kiyeji Muto persuaded his former Three Musketeers partner, Masahiro Chono, to climb into the ring, and Tiger Hattori, who was sat at ringside, to climb into the ring to referee a 1 minute and 37 match between Masahiro Chono and Keiji Muto as an exhibition to round out the evening's uh, entertainment. And what I thought was... Let him cook. Yeah, and it's like, Masahiro <laughs> Chono is the coolest guy that ever lived, let's be honest. <laughs> he doesn't doesn't get much call the Masahiro Chono. Um and yeah, and Tiger Hattori is the best referee of all time. And watching these two go at it one last time, that was something very special. So mm. well, well, we should finish off with Muto did walk down the aisle and the timing of Muto walking down the aisle to turn back to the audience on the last note of his theme music was incredible. That was brilliant. I have to say that as well. Mm-hmm. Ever the showman to the very end. Um, but that's the end of the career of Keiji Muto. I don't know how much have you seen of the career of Keiji Muto, because obviously you're a lot younger than me, because I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> and I have not watched wrestling for a very long time. But uh, I have seen, like, old, like, WCW stuff and, like, just, like, clips that, like, I go to a bar that shows wrestling on the TV, like, old wrestling on the TV sometime, and, like, they'll have, like, Muda matches on there and stuff. But I, uh, of course, have seen him when they, when places like GCW just spend a bunch of money to have a legend come over, you know? That's what I, I... the only time I've seen him have a match, I think, was in GCW, other than tonight. So, <laughs> well, if you, if you, but yeah, no, um, he looks like an incredible wrestler. The presence is amazing. I definitely um, understand the great influence that he's had over the three decades of his career. So, yes, and if you want to go back over the Troopany show. Um... Not you, Anna. Listeners in general. If you go back over the Troopin' Show archive over the last 12 months, we, like I said, we have kind of concentrated on Muto almost inadvertently, even like um, on there's an episode of the Rewind that me, Dara, and Martin did around Christmas time. They'll be out on the Troopin' Show channel this week um, where we talked about Brawl for All and how terrible it was. 
<laughs> the worst idea in wrestling history. And it was like, I was trying to search, well, was there any positives for anyone that came out of Brawl for All? And it was Muto. Because Muto was booking All Japan Pro Wrestling when Bart Gunn and Steve Williams came out of contract with WCW and WWE. He hired them both and made them main event stars again. And they had a feud against one another, which Vince McMahon refused to do. So he picked the money up that WWE left on the table. And, you know, he's just the smartest guy in wrestling. He's the best politician in wrestling. He's an incredible worker. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I know that the Noah fans, the Noah traditionalists, have been pointing out of, like, you know, of dare I say one did say it, I'm glad one of you's gone, because then we can get on with Noah being Noah again, which I completely understand. If you're a Noah fan and you want to see Noah being Noah, having this legend kind of cast a major shadow over the company for the last two years, as he has done, could be annoying. But equally, they're at the Tokyo Dome too. And that's and he <laughs> brings that. And that's what he's brought to the company. And I think Cyberfight spent money well-earned, to be honest with you, with him. In the same way they have done with a lot of veterans, uh, Yuna Akayama in DDT has done very similar things too. Um, Masato Tanaka going to DDT as well. So yeah, it's I'll be sad to see him go. He's one of my favourite wrestlers ever. I've watched so many of his matches. Um, and yeah, not going to be the same without him. But... Unfortunately, all your heroes have to retire in the end, don't they? So it's the way it is. But it is like <laughs> remarkable. Like of all the wrestlers I was watching in 1989, Sting and Kyushu were the stuns that were still coming up until this year. <laughs> but there you go. Anywho, so this was your first test taste of Noah. Have you any closing comments, Hannah? I. It was great. I liked some of the like uh, the Noah guys. I can't think of names in particular right now, but um, I'm definitely going to check it out like in the future. It, once now that I know that it's on Cyberfight and all that stuff, I think I might get a DDT subscription again because then I can back into my TJPW at the same time. <laughs> and uh, we often cover TJPW on the Trippany Show, so it would be great to have a regular TJPW correspondent. If you'd like that job. <laughs> I can do my best. <laughs> okay, then. And that covers us for the Troopany Show. Thank you very much for listening to us today. Anna, where can we find you on the internet? I am just on Twitter. Um, I am at beer underscore underscore uncle. So beer with two underscores uncle. I'm also on coffee or Kofi, uh, K-O hyphen fi slash caroliana so c-a-r-o-l-i-a-n-n-a i will link it <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh you can find chelsea at panels and pros on twitter i think she said she's on instagram as well you can find me at sheriff Star on twitter you can find me at sheriff Star on instagram you can find us on discord under troopany show podcast you can find us on master well you find me on mastodon now you can find the show on Instagram as well as Troopany Show. You can find us on Twitter as Troopany Show, on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon as The Troopany Show, where you keep us free forever for everyone. Um, we don't know what we're going to do next week because Kiyaji Muto is retired now, so we've got nothing left to talk about. Maybe wrestling has finished. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> 
So <laughs> we will talk about wrestling next week. And probably Glee, because Glee had another show this week. Glee just constantly produced shows for me and Marcus to talk about. So thank you, Suzuki-san. We love you. Um, and um, maybe we'll do that. I'm not really sure. If they've done two shows, Marcus likes to do a two for shows. They get two, two reviews in, so we spread things out a bit. So maybe it'll be light, maybe it'll be something else. But we're not sure. But we'll be talking about wrestling. It's just that we won't have a chance to talk about Kiyoji Muto in the present time anymore. And thank you, Kiyoji Muto, for your services to the wrestling industry and to my fandom, because you were the coolest-looking dude the first time I saw you beat seven maids of shit out of Ranger Ross on a WCW TV taping and spray mist into his face and use reverse Japanese reverse Indian deathlock with bridge to win and he looked like the coolest wrestler of all time. I wasn't far wrong in that observation. Take care. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.